Fat Force Radio. Fat Force Radio is rated M for mature. Or should that be immature? Hey guys, Dustin Wynn. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. This is Paul Dini. And you're listening to Bat Force Radio. And you're listening to Bat Force Radio. You're listening to Bat Force Radio. This is Joshua Williamson. You're listening to Bat Force Radio. Shazam, bitch. Welcome back to Bat Force Radio, the Batman and DC podcast with no limits. Hopefully everyone is safe and healthy out there as uh, more and more of us start to get back towards regular life and people getting vaccines and hopefully uh, we're all coming out the other end of this. But joining us, us this week, we have Atezus in New York. Believe us. Grandpa Batman in Texas. Yes, sir. The Bat Force <clears throat> Times, also in New York. Yes, sir. Bat Force Tom in California. Restore the Snyderverse. Indeed. And I am Robin Cross in Canada. And this week's returning guest is an author of books like Batman Superman, Ghosted, and the recently returned Nailbiter. He has also recently completed a massive four-year, 100-plus issue run on The Flash, where not once did Barry Allen do the Phoebe run from Friends. Hey, I like Ezra's Flash, but he runs funny. Next up, he will be not only writing Damian Wayne in Robin beginning April 27th, but also Red Hood in Future State Gotham beginning May 11th. Welcome back, one of our favorite guests, Joshua Williams. Hello. Thank you so much. It's been a long damn time, I think, since the beginning of Batman Superman. How the hell are you? I'm good, man. Yeah, man, I'm really good. Just been chilling, you know, trying to make comic books, keep my head down, just doing the work. Not much else. We we were talking about how you've been uh, recovering, uh, recollecting a lot of your collection, and it looks like you've also been collecting some beard there. I've never seen you with such oh, a beard. Oh, yeah, dude. So what happened was the when the baby was born in, um, so we had a baby in December of last year, so two, like tail end of 2019, you know, it was like very, very end of 2019. And uh, I got sick at the same time. So it was like all this stuff was going on where I got uh, pneumonia in January. So before even like COVID hit up, we already got, I already got real sick in January. And I was just being lazy. It was like the baby was here. You're never sleeping. You're just trying to like make it through the day. All this stuff's going on. And I was like, I'm not shaving. Like I, I just gave up on shaving in like January. And so then uh, it just grew out. I liked it. But you know what it is like with kids when they're young, they don't, understand when you have a beard and you shave like it'll freak them out yeah. so i was like all right i'm just gonna leave it and then my wife liked it i liked it and we eventually i just trim it up every once in a while and, and now it's here to stay for a while until until my son's old enough to where he won't like freak out when i shave i'll, I'll probably <laughs> shave or something i don't know there are days i had a dream last night that i accidentally shaved the mustache part and i was like well the rest has to go then you know but uh <laughs> like uh yeah i'll I've had this for a bit now, and uh, I like it now. I don't know. I feel, I don't know, it's weird, because I also turned 40 last year, so it was like a lot of life stuff was changing at the same time. It made me be like, all right, I'm just going to leave it like this. This is fine. 
made me feel like my age, I guess. <laughs> you, the, and doing the trim is always that danger. You know, you do have the danger of you accidentally shaving. Oh, man. Yeah, well, that's a problem. Go to, like, I mean, dude, I'm wearing this hat, but my hair is crazy right now. So it's like, <laughs> I would love to get an actual haircut, everything. I don't know. Go, go someplace where they know what they're doing and just be like, just take care of all of this. I don't know. Eventually, we'll get that. We'll get that soon. But uh, since the, the last time we spoke, mm-hmm. you did uh, wrap up your flash run. So before we get on to, you know, the, the current and the future, I just want to touch on that really quick. Because if I remember correctly, Flash was the comic you had always wanted to write. And yeah, yeah, yeah that, that was your thing. Yeah, I remember uh, the, the I think it was the first time we spoke. Uh, we we talked about that, how that was what you were uh, striving for. So after four years and creating characters like Godspeed and, and others who would go on to appear in the Flash CW series. Yeah. How does it feel to no longer be the author on Flash? Like, did you do everything you wanted to do with the character and, and you've moved on or are you keeping a summer house in Central City so you can pop back in again? I feel like I definitely have a summer house there. I, uh, you know, when I... I started looking at the writing on the wall and the stuff we were planning with DC and I always had this story I wanted to tell with Barry. And when we started getting closer and closer to that, so about a year ago, March, beginning of March of last year, um, or even man, two years ago, two years ago, we kept having this conversation of like, well, I guess I'm going to leave it a hundred. Like even two years ago, it was like, I'll leave it a hundred. That was kind of the, the plan. And then about a year ago in March, uh, beginning of March, uh we were like oh you know you're just gonna keep staying past 100 and i was like no i think i'm done like i think i feel like i look at the story i want to tell barry allen and kind of the direction i was taking him one of the things i wanted to say about him and i knew 100 would end up becoming 101 uh which became something else i can't remember what the what they ended up uh the number was uh 762 i think i was like that's that's gonna be it for me is that right there i could i could tell and they were surprised by that. I guess they thought I was going to keep going, but I was like, no. There was other factors to play. You know, obviously DC went through a lot of changes in the last year, uh, like internally a lot of changes. But I just kind of saw like, yeah, this is where I want to kind of like say I'm going to stop here because the story was over. That was a big part of it. I felt like what I wanted to say with Barry was over. And then uh, I also wanted to be the one to say it was over instead of them telling me it was over, oh, you know. Good. Which happens a lot of times, you know, you, you people have these big plans and then they get like halfway through and then DC is like, all right, core cool, changing gears, you know, and I didn't want that to happen. I didn't want to like then rededicate myself to another story and then get stuck. So I uh, talked with them about it and, and by then I made peace with it and I knew what I wanted to do. And so then it was just about fighting to make sure I ended the story the way I wanted to end it. That became the priority. And... Uh, I was able to do that. Like I was able to end the story with Barry the way I wanted. Um, because of what was going on with Death Metal, I got to do one more Wally story with Speed Metal. And then after that, because there was so much Flash stuff going on with uh, Death Metal, I was able to do another story with them. And then when we started building Infinite Frontier, it came up to me of like, oh, Wally's going to become the flash on earth while Barry travels. And I was like, okay, cool. I'll write that then. So I have to do that. And so I feel like, I feel like I'm still connected to them. And now Barry is going to be an infinite frontier, which is a book I'm writing this summer. Um, it's like a, it's a six issue mini that kind of deals with like the ramifications of all the, you know, time travel multiverse 
rewriting uh, shenanigans that was going on. We're kind of dealing with some of the fallout from that. And so Barry's in that book a little bit. And I don't know, it's weird. Like, I still feel like I'm writing those characters even though I don't write the book. So, yeah, I definitely have a house there. <laughs> Uh, but I do feel like I don't really have any regrets on it, especially when it comes to Barry. I feel like I, I've, I've told my Barry story. Um, there's stuff with Wally I want to do, and there's things with the Flash family I think I can still do. Uh, it's funny. I remember, you know, when Mark Wade left Flash, he came back to Flash. When Jeff left Flash, he came back to Flash. So I almost feel like you have to come back again at some point. I don't know if I would. I know I have some stuff I want to do with Wally uh and so stuff with the flash family i want to do eventually i don't know when that's going to happen but in terms of barry and having regrets on my run uh i'm really happy with it it this week yesterday actually um for reasons for character equity stuff i had to go through every once in a while if you want to tell dc like hey i created this character you know you have to actually tell them you have to like fill out paperwork and uh you know, that way if they ever are on something. So it's like if, if one of those characters does appear in a TV show or a movie or whatever, you you uh, you do get money for that. So, but you have to fill out paperwork. And so I was like doing that for my books because um, I hadn't done it in a few years. So just to double check, I went through every, so literally yesterday, I looked at every issue of The Flash yesterday. So all 101 issues plus the annuals and stuff. Just going through and being like, oh, I did create that character. Oh, they used that character on the show. All right, that's money. Like, fill out the paperwork, you know, whatever. So I had to go through and do them all. <laughs> As I was going through, I did have a moment of, like, you know what? Like, there are little things I would do differently with the book. Now, looking back, like, little stuff here and there, I would move around or amp up or change or, you know, move a couple things. But I, I'm, I'm really proud of it, like, looking at the whole thing. I was like, all right, cool. I did do the thing I wanted to do. Um, I didn't finish looking at all the issues yesterday. I still have to do the last two trades worth, which uh, they're not both out yet. Uh, I got to look all the issues, but I was going to go through and be like, you know, I did what I wanted to do here. And uh, yeah, so I'm really happy with it. Eventually, I know I'll have more stuff to do with them. Um, I don't know, without getting too much into spoilers, I don't feel mm-hmm. as I'm necessarily done with uh, with those characters. It may not be in a Flash book, though. There might be other yeah, places that, to tell stories with those characters. That, that's awesome, though, that you got to leave when you wanted and how you wanted. It's like when a fighter retires while he's the champion. It it doesn't happen very often. Oh, dude, the fact that I got to leave exactly when I wanted, saying, like, there's nothing in those last few issues that was forced on me or anything, right? Like, I wish I had had two extra issues, maybe, because it gets a little smashed in the middle, just mostly because of time. You know, like, I miscalculated uh, the timing on the, the last six issues a little bit. But the fact that I got to be speed metal, all these different things, I mean... I don't know, man. I feel I definitely had moments. It was dude, like when those books are going to print, I kept waiting for somebody to say, oh, we have to change the ending. You can't do this because I basically <laughs> gave him a happy ending. You know, like Barry runs like, you know, he has this moment with Eobard. He has this moment with his family. and Everything's cool with him and Iris. He has this moment with like his mom's ghost. And then he runs off into the sunset. And it's like I kept waiting for somebody to be like, no, he can't do one of these things. Because I have a barbecue at the ending. Like, there's literally a barbecue in my last Flash issue where everybody's hanging out. And it was like, I could, you know, a few years ago, they probably would have said no. Like, they would have made me change something, you know. So, uh, the fact that I got to do a lot of the stuff I wanted to do in the end, it was, I felt like I got away, like a bandit on some of that stuff. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, a a lot of, uh, a lot of different things are allowed to happen in comics lately. Like, you know, 
five years ago would you have expected to see a Batman playing a guitar dressed up, you know, like Gene Simmons? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, dude. I mean... It's going crazy now. Yeah, I mean, that was Marie. I mean, I think Marie Javis, who's now editor in chief you know, she, she, she basically took over for the end of Metal and then was kind of... That, that whole story we were telling from Metal all the way through Death Metal was always planned, you know? Yeah. Like, I remember we had right after Metal came out, we knew what we knew what No Justice was going to be, and we knew the Lex stuff, and we knew all these different pieces. The only curveball was You're the Villain. Like You're the Villain came up like kind of late in the game. Like and we had to kind of like find ways to make it work. Um, and we had this dinner at uh, God, it was at, like I think it was at Phoenix, like a Phoenix convention. And me, James, and Scott sat there, and we basically it was 2018, and we knew we knew we were doing up until the end of Death Model at that point. Like we basically sat down and, and uh, we started mapping out like, oh, and you know, uh, the Batman who laughs is going to fight Superboy Prime. Like we knew all these little pieces and stuff, and it was all about getting to these moments. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. Like the fact that so we knew then. So Marie, the fact that she just got it, like she totally got the idea that like, oh, there's going to be images of Batman with a guitar. Uh, it helped us get there. And then when she became editor-in-chief, you know, it uh, made it even easier to get to the end than we wanted. What Have there, have there been any rumblings of a possible omnibus for your Flash run? Do you know what's going on with uh, publishing? No, I mean, right now, I think it's going to be a while because, like, it took them a year, dude, to get my last trade out. Like, the last trade of my run yeah. until October, which was super... Uh, I don't know. It was kind of. It was. It, I was getting frustrated with it because I'm like, "Why are you taking so long to get this out?" Part of it's because my last two flash trades are really long. That's mm. part of. Like, they're they're so that was part of what the math was because they were longer trades. Um, is why it took longer, and I think they were putting out like four a year, and then they were like, well, "Let's slow it down a little bit." And I don't know. It's a it's a frustrating thing. Sometimes you don't have control over it, and there's a lot going on, obviously, in the world and stuff at DC. So. But it's coming out. I saw. It. I know it'll come out at the end of the year, so I'm just, I'm, I'm glad. And then I think it'll take a bit of time before they do that. But maybe a year mm-hmm. or two before they start doing something like that. It's a hundred mm-hmm. issues, so that'd be a couple. That'd be a bunch of omnibuses. Yeah, probably. I mean, the most you could do is like uh, Chris Priest. They're putting together an omnibus for his Deathstroke run, and it's everything. And that ends up being like sixty issues when you include all the stuff and like all the crossovers. So that's mm-hmm. gonna be that omnibus. So yeah. with mine, I mean, the most they could do is probably two. You know, maybe two omnibuses, yeah. but when you look at the ones I did for Jeff, which I have up here, the ones for Jeff, they did it in three. Yeah, Actually, it was. I don't know, the three, and you you also need the the brightest day omni as well, I think. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. They didn't collect all that stuff. Yeah, but for now, right? Like they're re-releasing them, so they did mm. like a packaging of it, so it'll probably have everything in that one. But like the Mark Wade ones, dude, they do those like bigger trades, and those are still right. coming out because there's so many of them. Yeah. And, so, go moving on to what you're doing now. You have the upcoming Robin run and uh, Red Hood. Now, did did you seek that out, or did they come to you and say, "This is what uh, we want you to do"? Robin. So, about ten years ago, um, I got this job from DC. So, when I first started, this is like a long road to get here, but I'll tell you the whole thing. Uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah, about ten years ago, 
uh, more than that, 11 years ago, um, I started talking to DC. I've been working at DC doing small jobs here and there. And, and they came to me and they were like, listen, we want you to do some inventory stories. These may never come out, but we want you to do a bunch of inventories. Um, you pick, you can do a Superman or Batman. And I told you guys this already, right? It was like, you do Superman, you can do Batman. And they were like, don't say Batman because everyone says Batman. And that's mm-hmm. when I was like, well, can I do both? Like, can I do a Superman and a Batman one? And they were like, yeah, that makes sense. Like, no one's ever said that before. Go for it. So there were like three of those. And none of those ever came out. But one of them, because it was just like tests. They basically pay you to do tests. That's really what it's for. And then it can, unless someone messes up, they can slot it in, right? But they were like, um, one of them was a Halloween one. It was a horror one. And they were like, we actually like this one, but we want you to like rewrite it completely. But we want to take Batman and Superman out and put Supergirl and Damien in. And so I was like, all right, cool. I like I like Damien. Like, I like that stuff. All right, sure, cool. So I wrote that, and that came out. It was in Superman, Batman, number 77. That came out in 2010. And I love writing that issue. And I had a lot of fun writing Damien. It was like, I had a blast writing him. So ever since then, I would bring it up every once in a while. That plus Superman, Batman. So it was like, it's... it's uh, it's funny to me, I guess, that all these little things that I've kind of asked them for, it just takes a long time, I eventually get. But, like, with getting the Batman Superman tile, that was something I always asked about. I was like, I want to do a Batman Superman tile. So they eventually gave me that. So they knew I was always really interested in Robin and Damien. And I don't know who brought it up. I think Ben Abernathy brought it up about a year ago. A little bit more than a year ago. He brought it up. He was like, would you be interested? No, it was a year ago. Yeah, a year ago right now. He was like, are you interested in doing a Robin book? And at the time, because of things that were going on, I wasn't even sure if I was going to stay at DC after the Flash, because I knew, I knew that my Flash run was going to end in September. I knew that my Batman Superman run was going to end in December. And so I was, there was a moment there where I was like, I don't know if I'm even going to stay. I might leave. I might not hang around because uh, there wasn't really much. Like I have to be obsessed with the book. Like for me to want to do a book, I have to really care about it. Otherwise, I, I think the few times I haven't cared about a book. Um, you can tell. Or I leave the book super early. Like, which is like, Odyssey. Not to say I didn't care, but I, I like, I think Dad and Abner should have been writing that book in the beginning. Like, I had no business writing that book. Which is why I left after five issues, you know? Um, so I have to be obsessed with it. And that was kind of my, my rule lately, is I have to be obsessed with something. And but with Robin, I, I, I wanted to write that book. I've always wanted to write a Damien book. And so then it became, okay, well, if I'm going to do that, it's got to be like this. And it's got to look like this. It's got to be this kind of book. And gradually it just sort of, uh, it came together, you know, and, uh, it's been the most fun I've ever had at DC is working on that book. Like it's just nonstop fun. Like the stuff with Damien, cause he enters with those stories. He enters this, um, he finds out that, you know, there's a league of assassins. There's a league of shadows. He finds out there was a third league that had like left a long time ago, like hundreds of years ago, broke off. Uh, and they're the league of Lazarus and there's no record of them. And that bothers him. He's like, I've seen it all. Like, if it's in the back computer, if it's in, like, you know, the Al Ghul archives, I read it. Why was this kept secret from me? And he finds out they run a tournament called the League of Lazarus Tournament, the Lazarus Tournament. And he basically enters that tournament to find out why this was kept secret from him, what are the secrets of the League of Lazarus, all this stuff. He sees it as a challenge, as a case, and part of his training. And so he's like, I'm going to go do that. And it's just been super fun. Like, I don't know, man. It's fun. It's also the easiest thing I've ever written for them, partially because I think they're letting me just kind of run with it. Um, but I'm having a blast with it, dude. Yeah, it it's 
it's funny, man, because I know it's like not the same as doing the Flash or doing Batman, but I love that character, and I like I like the world we're kind of building around him, and I'm just having fun with it. It's hard to explain. It's stuff. Uh, like this week with Connor Hawk, I'm not sure if you guys saw like, Connor Hawk's coming back and yeah. he's going to be in the book. Uh, that came up real early on. I was like, I want Connor Hawk. And they were like, what? Why? <laughs> and I had to kind of explain who he was. And, and I was like, listen, we're doing a book that has about a tournament. Like Connor Hawk has to be in it. And uh, yeah, so it's been, it's been a lot of fun, but they came to me with that one. Um, or I guess, it was, I guess it was a mix. It was like, I was always asking them about Damien. And then when it finally came around, it was surprising. I don't know. It was like I had asked other editors, and when Ben Abernathy took over the Bat books, he didn't know that, but he still asked me about it. And I was like, hell yeah, I want to do that. Um, with Gotham, Red Hood, Ben Abernathy came to me for that one. He was like, do you want to do a future state Red Hood story? And this again, I wasn't sure if I was going to stay or not, if I was going to leave. Like there was a part of me that was like going to leave uh, either after Flash or leave after Future State. And then he was like, oh, do you want to do this Red Hood thing? And I was like, sure. And so I did the two parts with him that, again, was just fun. It was like, let's just do something different with Jason. Let's do something different with the Future State books. Let's do a different, something different for me, kind of lean away from certain things. And uh, and then he really liked it, and he showed it to the rest of D.C. This is like last August. He showed it to other people in D.C., and they really liked it. And they started talking about, well, why don't we do another version of it? Why don't we do like future state gotham basically and do it as a black and white book and do it kind of like you know manga influenced and uh and i was like all right cool i'll do that that sounds like a lot of fun just so th- that was where i was kind of headed it was like after doing after doing flash for so long i don't want to do the same old thing you know i don't want to dive on a book that was like equal i just wanted to do stuff that i could have fun with and not have freedom with uh what's crazy is like yeah i originally thought i was gonna leave but now I'm writing five books for them. So I went from basically being like, oh, I might go. I might stop after this to suddenly doing five. Um, but yeah, man, like Robin, it's it's so much fun, dude. I don't know. I kind of got to tell this like cool Robin story. It kind of gets to go over here. And it's not structured the same. You know, it's not written for the trade. It's just, it's like a, like a lot of stuff, you know, they, we would kind of write these books with like five issues in mind. Because then you get, you know, a five issue trade out of it or a six issue trade out of it. With this, it was like, let's just tell fun stories with Damien and not really worry about the trade as much. And that's why the first arc is like eight issues long, but it's not even um, like the end of that story. It's just it's a, like a continuing story with Damien on these adventures uh, on his own, doing his own thing. But I love it, dude. It's so much fun to work on that book. I can't like understate it. You, you already answered part of this question before I even asked it, but uh, I was going yeah. to ask uh, if bringing connor back was your idea or if they had wanted uh to to bring connor back in but since you already revealed that you wanted him out what what was it that made you want to bring uh, connor in aside from just you know the obvious of having him in a in a tournament uh well there's a few things going on with that because i also bought i also wrote the scene it was also me that brought roy back um that was my idea to bring roy back at the end of death metal and then in um the infinite frontier zero I'm a big Green Arrow fan, um, and I always liked the Green Arrow family, particularly in the 90s. You get into the Kevin Smith stuff and, and you know, even go up to where, like, Judd Winnick was on it and doing stuff with, you know, the the uh, Green Arrow Black Canary series that Cliff Chang worked on. Uh, I was, I've always been a fan of Green Arrow, and that all those characters, 
And when New 52 happened, all those characters got separated or don't exist, right? It's like Mia doesn't exist, Connor doesn't exist, Black Harry was over damn here. Damn it, Dr. Manhattan. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all these people got scattered to the wind, and that always bugged me. I always felt like, I don't know. I guess I don't think you have to throw things in the trash to make a character matter, you know? So, uh, one of my goals has been to bring a lot of these characters back. You can see it with Flash. It's like I gradually got back Impulse and Max Mercury and Jesse Quick. I was able to like gradually bring people back in and, and Hunter Solomon and try to get Wally back on a better path. So, I've always had my eye on some of these characters, and Connor was one of them. Like, I always liked his character back then. I remember reading Green Arrow Zero when he was first introduced and reading the whole story with him, and um, I always liked his character. I thought he was cool, and obviously I like a lot of those 90s uh, sort of, like, second-generation, third-generation characters. One of the best stories with him is a story from JLA where he goes up against the key by himself. Like, he shows up at the Watchtower for his Justice League like introduction and he shows up and the keys already take out the justice league and so it's kind of like die hard and it's just connor hawk in the watchtower trying to take on the key by himself and uh it's just two issues man those two issues are, are terrific they're so good and i think those two issues are like a great example of him as a character and then he was in the justice league and i don't know i've always really uh i like that character a lot and i missed him and i thought it sucked that he was gone and so when we started talking about this book uh I was like, you know what? This feels like an opportunity. I can bring him in. How do I bring him in? And I started like looking into him, thinking about League of Shadows, you know, trying to figure out this math of like where he would be at, where he's been, start building it out. And then the silliest thing happened. Like I, I knew I was on the right path. Like I, I felt like he was the right character, and I could do it here, and it'd be surprising and different, right? Like having him show up on a Robin book will be surprising versus say if there was a Green Arrow comic, right? Like I think there'd be something different here. You know, and then eventually you can do reunions down the line. But just to reintroduce him in a different way would be fun. And then I was just like, I was thinking about the logic of the Court of Owls, right? So, you know, part of Scott's reasoning and creation of the Court of Owls was because the owls are the natural predator for bats, right? Like, that was part of his thing. He, you know, he's like, oh, owls hunt bats? This, this makes perfect sense, you know? Yeah. And um, I was looking up, you know, what are Robin's natural predators, and it's a hawk. And that's when I was like, oh, shit, dude, I'm on it. Like, this is it. <laughs> this, is, this is coming together. The fact that his natural predator, a raw natural predator is a hawk. This is, uh, okay, I got this. Like, and so uh, I went and I pitched it to them. And we had had all these conversations about who the supporting cast was going to be for the book. And we wanted to do a mix of things from the past, new characters, some surprises. And... Uh, it was funny, like, they kept, they, they had some ideas what they wanted, and I had some ideas that I wanted. In the end, I won. Um, and, like, Ravager's in the book, uh, Connor Hawk is in the book. There was a moment where Connor wasn't going to make it, because I think they were like, well, what about this character and this character? And I was like, none of that makes sense. It didn't, didn't make sense. Also, to consider, if Robin is secretly on the run from Batman... And he has gone, or he's on the run from Batman, he's gone to this island for this tournament. Any character on that island that is tight with Batman, they would call Batman and tell him where Damien was. So I couldn't have any characters that were like that. And so that actually helped me out a bunch when it came to figuring out, like, because they were trying to get me to use characters that I was like, no, that character will call Batman. Like, that was my, for a few of them, I'm like, no, that character will call Batman. Like, that's, but Ravager wouldn't. 
right? She would not automatically like rat Damien out like day one. You know, she would she would kind of play things out. And then Connor Hawk, because of and we'll reveal this as the story goes, because of what's going on with Connor Hawk and why he's in the tournament, he wouldn't rat him out. Like, and no one knows Connor is alive, so it's like, you know, he's also doing his thing. So it just really worked out with his character. And there's a scene in issue three uh, that's like one of my favorite scenes in the book with the, with Damien and, and Connor. Uh, but he's awesome to write. He's only in issue one, like a little bit, and then two a little bit more, and then three is a, a lot of him. Um, that's kind of, I don't know, this book's interesting because it's not like, I didn't shove a lot into these books. I'm letting it breathe a little bit and just kind of having fun with these characters and doing really cool fight scenes with character bits and just fun stuff with them all. And then the stuff with Connor is, like, he's a major part of the book. It isn't like a throwaway thing. You know, he's really important to the whole the the whole first story we're doing, the whole tournament arc. Same with Ravager and the same with a bunch of other characters. Like, there's another character where you know, Flatline is a new character we're introducing. Um, she's Lord Deathman's new sidekick. And so she's on the island to like prove who she is and stuff and prove that she's a great fighter. Um, and there's another character we're introducing. He's on the cover. Uh, he has like Deathstroke's mask, but it's red and black. And it has oh. both eyes. And his name is Respawn. And he's going to be like a mystery in the book of who he really is and, and part of what he's doing there. And, Oh, is what? that uh, is that who one of the little uh, pictures was in the uh, Detective Ten Thirty Four back? He's not up? in that one. He's not in that one. I actually totally forgot that those pictures were there <laughs> until someone pointed out this week. No, he's not in one of those little pictures. He's the only character that isn't. But he's in issue one, and then he's on the cover of issue one. But he's like, he's a big player for Robin. Another book I'm writing. And then he'll be part of the that hasn't been announced yet. And then he'll be part of like this big story I'm telling in the the DCU over the next year. I'm telling two big stories: one that's cosmic, one that's grounded. And the grounded story a lot has to do with Damien and a lot of like the characters we're introducing in his book. And then uh, the books it'll connect to gradually. But yeah, Respawn is gonna his first appearance will be Robin number one, and then yeah, he'll be like a a bigger character gradually across. He has one of my like favorite scenes in the book in issue three it's issue three no it's issue four issue four uh he has like a run-in with ravager and it's like super creepy and very much like i think we were talking about horror a little bit it's like he has a much more uh like he tries to scare ravager at one point and she's like i don't scare easily he's like i'm not trying to scare you and he like kills somebody right in front of her uh he's super fucked up um He's a very interesting character I like writing a lot that will gradually become a bigger deal in the book. But that first issue, he's on the cover. On the uh, He's on the cover that's the um, the wraparound cover on the back. You can see Ravager and you see Flatline. And then in the middle, that's him with the red and black mask. Oh, cool, cool. So that begins. And if anyone, uh, I, I was just referencing uh, Detective. So if anyone hasn't read them yet, the the setups for this Robin series uh, are backup stories in Batman 106 and Detective Comics 1034. Yeah, so you don't read those. You don't yeah, have but, to, but, but it they helps. Yeah, it'll give you a lot of background where he's at emotionally. But issue one was written to where you could just pick it up straight and and, and go. Like we always, we were in my script because I wrote the two preludes as one script. Uh, we just kept calling it the zero issue when we were working on it. Um, so you could you could read it like it basically gets you if you if you've been reading Robin and you were reading or I'm sorry if you were reading Teen Titans and then you read Detective and you were reading Damien's story and you want to know how he gets from that to Robin number one then you probably should read the Preludes. 
But if you're just a Damien fan or just a Robin fan or just want a cool, fun comic book, you can pick up number one by itself and just go and start running with it. So uh, that hits in April and then in May. Yeah, it's uh, State. Yeah, we have Future State starting, and uh, what can we expect? You know, there, there's some synopsis out there, but uh, for anyone who hasn't read that, what uh, what do we expect from a Red Hood in this story? Well, with that story, it's it's not just a Red Hood story. It's a story about Gotham, and it, it, right now it is through the POV. For the first three issues, it's the point of view of Jason, and um, something happens. There's a disaster that happens in Gotham in the future. It, during the future state world it takes place after all of the future state books so if you or at least all the, the batman books so if you read all of the batman future state books this takes place immediately after that and it does pick up all the pieces from those things not just the red hood story it picks up the pieces from dark detective and from next batman all of this stuff and essentially this disaster happens and it is it looks like it looks like batman did it it looks like Jace is the one that Jace Fox is the one that, that did it. So Red Hood is tasked with pulling, bringing him in. And because of how big the disaster is, Red Hood is like, yeah, I got to do this. And he believes, he believes the evidence is real. At first he's like, this is a setup. And then the person that he's been talking to that we like hide in the shadows, will eventually reveal who that is. But the person in the shadows he's working with uh, tells him like, no, this evidence is real. Like he did it. So, you know, we got to figure out how to catch him. So the story becomes about, you know, with Red Hood trying to track down the next Batman, and then eventually the Bat family gets involved, and so it becomes a story with all of them. So it's like Duke and uh, and and Tim and Spoiler uh, and Nightwing. They all get involved, and so it becomes much more a book about you know the Bat family and everything that's going on in Gotham in the future. And then it takes all kinds of crazy twists and turns, but it really is just about, you know, Red Hood trying to bring in this next Batman because he doesn't he doesn't know him uh, the way everyone else does. Like, you know, Dick had interactions with him in Future State, so they kind of been through stuff together. But Red Hood, Jason doesn't know him at all. And it's like, well, I got to find him and bring him in. I don't care if you guys think he's cool or not. Like, we don't know him. You know, is he part of our family? I don't know. Let's find out. So it's really about all that stuff. And uh, I'm have a, I have a co-writer with that. His name is Dennis Culver. Um, he and I have worked together in the past on a couple of things. We worked on RoboCop together. Um, and we've known each other for a long time, and, and we exchange scripts every once in a while and talk about comics and, and, and stuff. And he did a book called Crone for Dark Horse. He did a book called Burnouts for Image. Uh, this is his first like real DC thing. Um, he's funny. He's actually the person that named uh, Deceased. Originally, Deceased was going to be called something else, and then he was having drinks with somebody, and he was like, you should call it Deceased. And I remember he told me that I was like, "Oh man, nobody's gonna like that title." And then it blew up. So <laughs> he's actually the person that named deceased. Uh, but he, uh, yeah, so he's working on it with me, and he is like a huge Batman fan. You guys should talk to him at some point. He is. He's funny because like I'm a, a big Batman fan. I mean, we've talked about this before. Mm-hmm. I have a Batman tattoo. I have a million Batman things. I've I've you know been reading Batman for 35 years or whatever. It's like I've been hooked and i know it pretty well i have my blind spots every once in a while like i think when it comes to like the 90s on i'm pretty good sometimes the grant stuff i have like little bits of blind spots with grant um here and there but dennis 
I don't think he has any blind spots when it comes to Batman. <laughs> he might forget something here and there, but he, he knows it really well. So him being on this book is pretty cool because he actually knows the he knows the history of it really well. And, uh, you know, so he, he, he dived in head first into the future state stuff, and he read all of it when he got the job. And so him and I have been working on it together, and it's been a lot of fun. He has a lot of, like, fun thoughts on Batman. Yeah, you guys should definitely have him on at some point. I think cool. you'll, you'll like him. He's... He's very opinionated about Batman stuff. So, <laughs> oh. yeah, that always actually that being opinionated on a character reminds me of something else that I specifically wanted to ask you about. So, yeah. at this point in time, we currently have two live action Barry Allens. And as someone who was, as someone who was writing Barry for so long, what are your thoughts on the two different characterizations of them? Because they are quite different. They're super different. Yeah. I don't know, dude. Like, I like the TV show one. I feel like the TV show one is probably closer to my interpretation of the character. Uh, I just see... This has been my my thoughts on this even so far back as when I was still working at a comic book store like 20 years ago. All that, all the different stuff, I just see them as Elseworlds. And Elseworlds, you have different interpretations. Like, and so that's... Even when all these movies, the Steiner movies, or the Aquaman, the Wonder Woman, and there's a new Batman, and all the TV shows, I never take any of that stuff, I don't know what the word is for this. I guess I don't get upset when somebody isn't my version of something, you yeah. know? Uh, and I actually haven't watched all Snyder Cut yet. Um, I've only watched, like, maybe the first half of it. Uh, I started watching in my office, and then uh, and then I got distracted. I get back to work. Um Four hours is a lot. I know yeah. some people were watching them in like little chapters and stuff. They were watching each parts, but I was like, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dive in. I just didn't make it. I'll probably finish it tonight. I'll probably, maybe I'll, I'll probably end up watching. We were talking earlier uh, before we started on the Batman stuff. I'll probably end up watching Freddy versus Jason tonight. And then when that's over, then I'll probably watch, um, then I'll probably finish off the Snyder Cut after that. But yeah, I don't know, dude. Like, I like the TV show version probably best in terms of those two. You know, I like some of the cartoon stuff. Like, I think Injustice has a good good look at the Flash family. Um, but yeah, I would say the TV show is probably closer to my interpretation. Sometimes. Sometimes. Uh, I, met I, do like, I do like the way that uh, the the movie shows Flash's ability, like, because so many times, I think we're all used to when you see Flash do something, you see a flash of lightning and something's changed. Yeah. yeah Whereas in the yeah. movie, they gave us that slow-mo, you know, I think it's from, um, kingdom come, uh, where, uh, flash describes what it's like for him as uh, a gallery of statues. Yeah, I did that and too. I think it's cool to see that side. Yeah, my flash is I did that in I think it's like twenty three. I talked about that too of how he it it is it's like being in a crowd room where it's frozen with statues and you just kind of walk through them. Um, that scene where he saves the iris in the movie, I got that far. Uh, I thought that was cool. It looked neat. Um, I don't mind it. It's really weird. I guess I don't have like a negative opinion of it at all. Like I think it's cool. I. I, I like his little, like, lair. I don't mind that he's a little bit different. He is definitely more Wally than Barry. Yeah. Like, Barry, to me, is never funny. Not to say, you know, I don't I don't feel like Barry is kind of, like, a wackier character. Uh, whereas, in, like, I don't want to say Barry doesn't have a sense of humor. But he isn't 
as frantic. I guess that's it. To me, Barry is always much more stoic. Uh, Grant Morrison, one time, I might have told you guys this story before, but we were at a, uh, a workshop, a DC Comics writers. It was a workshop for everybody's writers and artists. It was a workshop. And they invited a bunch of us to uh, come, and we were there for all day. You're there from, like, 9 in the morning till, you know, 4 o'clock or whatever. And it was the first half of the day was all Grant. The second half of the day was Grant, but also Neil Adams. And them just talking about comic book stuff. Um, That's so cool. Grant is a big fan of Neil Adams, so the first part is just Grant talking. The second part was Grant interviewing Neil Adams. Um, when that was over, uh, I have met Grant a few different times in my life, um, but never in a professional setting, I think. Mostly me uh, getting autographs or bugging him at like a bar or something. <laughs> uh, I got a really long talk with him about video games one time when I was like, 20 years old or something in a bar um and uh you know yeah so then uh me and tom king we when everybody was done and the workshop was over everybody was leaving to go do whatever and tom king and i were like we want to go talk to grant we go and and uh try and ask Grant questions that we didn't want to ask in front of other people. You know, you don't want, sometimes you want to just go up and be like a little more one-on-one with somebody and yeah. sort of raising your hand and asking questions in the middle of a classroom. So uh, Tom and I went over and we started talking to Grant about Batman. And then we started talking to Grant about Flash. And in that little bit of time, those few moments we had with Grant Grant said so much cool shit. Like, Grant just nailed so many things about Bruce and then about Barry. And that stuff really uh, stuck with me for a long time. Like, after that, my thoughts on Barry changed. Um, And one of the things was about how Barry... uh, This is going to sound really silly, but Barry is an astronaut. Like... When you think about who, like, this idea of, like, these, like, the right stuff kind of older guys that would go and become astronauts, they were much more, like, stoic, and they could maintain calm, right? Like, the idea that, like, you're about to get your ass launched into space, you have to be able to keep your cool. And if something goes wrong while you're in space, you can't panic. You have to be able to keep your cool. And that's who Barry is. Barry is the kind of person that is always stoic. And no matter how crazy the scenario is around him, he never freaks out. He always keeps calm. And But that calm is infectious. Like, it helps everyone else. Like, the rest of the superheroes that are around him, it makes them realize, like, oh, we can make it through this because Barry isn't freaking out, right? Like, that's part of, I think, his ability is to do that. And so, with that, Barry is not a frantic person. I think on the show, they lean into that a little bit. They lean into the whole thing about his heart and his hope. They do make him sad sometimes. So did I, though. Um, you know, they make him a little bit of a bummer at times. So did I. But um, with the TV, with the movie, I know they do that a little bit when he's with his dad. But his frantic nature is so different from how I see him. But I don't consider that to be wrong. Like, I'm okay with seeing different interpretations of these things. Uh, so I still I enjoy him on the TV. I like that he's a little different, a little jokey. 
it's so different from the Barry that I, I think of, you know, like when he makes a joke on the roof with Gordon and stuff, uh, it's just not the Barry that I think of, but yeah. it's still funny, but that's so much more Wally to me. Like Wally was always that character. I don't know. I mean, we all know that John ship is the actual flash, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's the most, he's the most Barry of the berries. It's easily him, dude. Like he, he has the most, like even when you go back and look at that show, and then the way he acts on when he's Jay is yeah. perfect. It's like that dude is, is totally the Flash. I have that toy here too. I feel like it's, over, uh, I, it's somewhere in this room. I have that toy. I never took it out of the box. I, I was super excited when they brought him back onto the CW show. Yeah, because that's the you know the the era and the show that I grew up watching, and I I loved him in that role. Yeah, me too. I remember when that first episode aired. Like in my memory, this is what I remember, but it could be wrong. It was like the same night, or it was like a week after America's Funniest Home Videos started. Yes. Like, started, right? Yes. And it's on at the same time. And uh, my friends and I, I, all I wanted to do was watch The Flash. All I wanted to do was watch America's Funniest Home Videos. And so we were like flipping back and forth. And I was like, man, come on. I want to watch The Flash. That's what I remember about The Flash beginning. And I was like, oh, it's doomed. It's not going to make it because people want to watch this America's Funniest Home Videos. And then you. You set the recorder on your VHS VCR <laughs> and record Flash. We'd we'd watch America's Funniest Home Video with the family, but then yeah. record Flash. No, I never did that. I had a. I used to man. I used to rent when they they put it on a VHS, just the pilot. And I used to rent that shit all the time, dude. Go in there yeah. and rent just to watch that pilot. Um, it was amazing. I was like, I can't believe they're making this on a TV show. Dude, it's so good. It's so good. And I'm. <clears> uh, I'm just glad that they were able to, like... I remember when... I think it was in... When Flash went to... I can't remember if it was when he went to Earth 2 or not, but when that first time they showed him Travel Worlds and they had all the stuff on the sides... Yeah. They just showed that. I, yeah, like, lost my mind when they did that. I love all that stuff. Uh, It's really cool that, uh, you know, they have the ability to do all this stuff. Like, they can... At any given time, they can show the history of you know, all these different iterations of characters. So it's very cool that they would finally take advantage and, and begin to do that. Yeah. I'm glad. I mean, that crisis, um, <laughs> like mini series they did last year, the crossover, whatever was so cool. They brought all that stuff together and they had just, you know, just some fun for a bit with all those things, like a lot of Easter eggs and stuff. I love that stuff. If you could find ways of putting Easter eggs, dude, it's funny. T- uh, you guys read James's Batman, right? Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. He puts a lot of Easter eggs in his stuff from the movies and the TV shows. I'm not even sure if anybody ever really picks up on. Um, there's all kinds of weird little things he does in there. Um, like in Batman 89, there's like a couple lines in there. Because it was 89, he purposely put like little things in there that were references to the 89 movie. Yeah. Um, in, yeah, I uh, feel like he dropped a line from 89 in there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he and I talk about a bunch. There's a reason that his very first arc was starring. It was the Riddler, Penguin, Catwoman, and the Joker, right? And it was like they had done something in the past together. Yeah. The reason he did that was because of yeah, with, um, uh, with the designer. Yeah, but the reason he picked those four characters was because those are the four characters from Batman '66 yeah. when they had the movie, and it was the four of them teamed up. That's why he picked them was because of that. Because he was like, I'm gonna do that little group again, and and you know it was. Nice. Yeah, there's all kinds of funny little stuff in there. There's one from 
it's from 108, I think. So that's not two months from now. I read the other day. Um, and there's a line in there that's a reference for one of the movies. I won't give away, but I mean, I read the other day and I messaged him immediately and I was like, Oh, I see you, bro. (laughs) (laughs) Little things in there. I was like, I wonder if everyone's going to get that. Um, but I picked up on immediately. That's what's cool about, uh, it's, I have to be careful with some of this stuff because I am reading some of this stuff like way further out. And I know some of the stuff really further out. I have to be careful not to spoil other people's plans and stuff. But that's what's, I mean, that's what's worked out with Robin was I've been able to just talk to James while he's playing on Batman and able to, like, meet stuff up. So there's stuff that where it's, like, at the end of the year, some of the stuff I'm doing a Robin and some of the things that are going on in Robin will start to, to cross back over with the Batman books at the end of the year. And they'll start to have a little more intermingling with each other for the different plans we have um, and bring well, those characters in and stuff. That's something I was thinking about because you're writing the Robin book that is taking place in the the main timeline, and you're writing the the Gotham book that's uh, in the future state time. Yeah. Is there any uh, temptation there to you know, have something happen in the Robin book, say, and a month later have you know this event from history? referenced in the the future state time of gotham not really not for me i would say i know other books are going to kind of touch on that stuff uh with robin i just wanted to do something kind of to my own on the side a little bit but i was really thankful it came up a bunch you know damien isn't in future state at all because you make an appearance he's barely mm-hmm. mentioned and uh so i feel like if i wanted to bring damien into future state at some point I would definitely do it in a way that referenced the stuff I was doing in Robin. But so far with our plans on future state, we don't have plans for Damien yet. And that was actually part of it. I didn't want to cross the streams too much. Like I didn't want to do that because I think I thought it would become about that. And then the stuff I had planned for Robin for this whole first year, uh, it gets, it escalates. Like the first eight issues are about the Lily Lazarus stuff. And that leads into something else. And it leads into something really big. And then it crosses over to other books. There's another book I'm working on that hasn't been announced yet that is like the second half of that story. Or like I always like parallels, you know. So it's like someone doing a Robin is doing one story, and there's another book I haven't announced yet which touches on something else, and then those two things will collide at one point. Like they're gonna eventually, you're, you're gonna think it's two separate things, and then they're gonna run into each other. And uh, because I was already doing that, I didn't want to then put Future State on top of all that. Like I didn't want to be like, and then you have to do it with the future. I just wanted to kind of tell these stories, these characters, and and just kind of fun over my own little my own little corner for a little bit. You know, uh, they're touching on the future state so much in Detective and Batman already, and and Urban Legends touches on that a bit. Be careful, book. <laughs> uh, or spoiler people's stuff or stuff that hasn't been announced yet. But because they're doing so much of it over there, I didn't want to mess with it too much on on Robin. I wanted to keep Robin and the little the little world I'm building for Robin. It's not going to really again interact with the other pieces until the end of the year. I just wanted to keep it kind of on its own for a bit. You also just did a story in the um, new Batman Black and White. Oh yeah, and I wanted to ask. Um, do they give you like certain rules for those types of stories? Because I know they're very short stories, but. Uh, so that story was actually one I pitched, man, maybe like a year and a half ago, two years ago. And I actually originally wanted it to be an annual. Oh man, this is so long ago. 
I'm thinking of. So I was, I originally asked it, God, this is like, man, this is when, so Ben Abernathy has been group editor on Batman since November of 2019. And I had pitched it to Jamie Rich when he was group editor. So that was probably like July of 2018 when I pitched it. And there was no Batman black and white. It was just, I was like, listen, I want to do a story about a bat in Gotham and just follow them through for one whole night. Give me 30 pages. And they were like, we're not giving 30 pages. And, they were, <laughs> and then at one point I was like, give me the annual. And they were like, damn it. This is when, uh, oh my God. No, I pitched this before Tom even left Batman. So two years ago, though. It was like, because I remember being like, give me the annual. Give me the annual. And they were like, oh, we just gave Tom the annual. And I was like, son of a bitch. And so uh, it kept coming up, coming up, coming up, coming up. And I pitched it. I read a one-pager. And then Ben... I think it just just got the job, and I was like, "Well, this thing I've been wanting to do here it is." And he was like, "You think you can do it in a shorter form?" And I was like, "What do you mean, like twenty pages? Sure, I can do it in twenty pages and give me a whole issue." He's like, "No, no, no." And then we kept going back and forth, and then he was like, "Would you want to do it as a Batman black and white?" And but you can only do it in eight pages. And I was like, "Man, I don't know, eight pages." I was like, "My original in my in my head it was 30. So I'm like, can I do this in eight pages? I don't know. I got to trim it up. I got to do all this stuff. Because there was one part I'm leaving out. Originally, it was going to be silent. There was going to be no dialogue. That's why I was partially why I wanted 30 pages. I needed the art to really tell it. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Riley, you know, Rossmo was one of my best friends. And, uh, and so he and I had talked a bunch. And so I pitched it to him. And then, yeah, when Ben Abernathy was like, listen, I'm doing Batman Black and White. Do you want to do it as a Batman Black and White story? And I was like, well, let me let me write the page breaks for it and see if I could fit it in eight pages. And once I saw that I could cut it down to eight pages, I was like, let's do that. Talk to Riley about it. And then I wrote it. Um, there's things I regret it sometimes where I'm like, damn, I wish I had stuck to 30, but when are you ever getting a chance to be in Batman black and white again? You know, it's like, it, know. that was like a bucket list thing. I, I love Batman black and white, you know, since the nineties, I was like, I, I got to do it again. You know, that was uh, Mark Trello's, like, one of his babies. I had to do it again. Mm-hmm. So the fact that I got to be a Batman Black and White, I was like, let's do it. But, dude, I finished that, like, I finished that more than a year ago, I think. Oh, wow. Like, Batman Black and White. Like, I, I think I wrote that, like, maybe January of 2020. Like, I wrote that a long time ago. So it's, it's crazy that it just came out this week. Riley finished it. Dude, I don't even know when Riley finished it. I feel like Riley finished it, like, maybe June of last year. Maybe more. I feel like that book feels like a distant memory sometimes, like, writing that story. Originally, it was going to be an issue one, and then they moved it around, and they were like, well, we got to move things around a bit. Are you okay with some four? I was like, that's fine. I'm just glad it's in there, you know? Uh, but, yeah, there, there was no – the only dictating I had was it had to be eight pages. I regret, though, because I wrote it to be silent. And so then once the art came in and I saw everything, I was like, I got to add dialogue to this to make it make sense. So that was the only thing they said is it had to be eight pages. I wish I could have done it in 30, but that was the exchange for being Batman Black and White was it was eight pages. Did you um, – <clears throat> you said you're friends with uh, Riley. Yeah. Do you uh, Do you get any of the original art? Oh, didn't <laughs> it's your he story sold, he sold it as a set oh, like, oh. somebody buys all of Riley's pieces and they buy them in sets so uh, yeah. that one he sold as a set I wanted to have one of those pages the first page or the last page but 
he already has somebody who basically buys everything he does, and he was like, I can't break it up. So, I don't know, it's rough. You know, Riley and I are really close, but I can't ask him to just, you know, like, because that would fuck up his whole deal, you know? So, it's like, I don't want to mess up this yeah. deal he has, so. Gotcha. No, I didn't get any of the pages from it. It's kind of a bummer. I wanted, I wanted one of them. Like, the last page would have been awesome. I splashed the Bat Family, all the bats, but. Or that That's, one where he's jumping down and you see the city and the iceberg yeah. and yeah, there's all kinds of cool stuff in that one, man. Riley really cool stuff. Really had cool fun stuff. with it. Yeah, he he had some fun with it, dude. It was. I'm glad we did it. Like at the end of the day, I'm proud of it, and I think it's cool. I got it right here. I got it in the mail the other day. Um, yeah, I cool. love I love black and white because it puts cool teams together that normally don't work together. Yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff. And it's just cool to see people, different people do Batman. Like, it's a lot of people, I don't know, it's either they, they got to do, like, a big-ass run or, like, something really big. It's cool to just let people cut loose. I did a, um, I did a Superman story for Red and Blue uh, that I wrote in January, I think, of this year. It took me, like, they asked me to do it in November. And, like, early November, they were like, do you want to do a Superman Red and Blue story? And I was like, yeah, of course, I'll, I'll, I want to do that. So that's, that'll be fun. Eight pages, let's go. And then it took me three months to write it, because I could not figure out what to write <laughs> for that. Like, I was like, what do I want to do with Superman for, for eight pages? And then I wrote a story that's, like, one of my favorite things I've ever done for DC. Um, and uh, that'll be in the issue that comes out in, uh, in June. Yeah, in June. Uh yeah, it's been fun doing that stuff, but yeah, man, I don't know. There's a lot going on. I'm doing all kind. Of, I feel like I'm I'm writing a lot for DC. Yeah, I'm doing five books. Uh, one of them actually, it's crazy. I, one of them, I already finished writing and it hasn't been announced yet. Like I've already written all of it. Um, so it's kind of a weird thing. Like by the time it gets announced, it, it probably get announced in the summer at the earliest, and if even that, because the artist has taken their time on it. Uh, so it's gonna be one of those things where. It's weird to be like I'm done with some of the stuff I've already like have you know has been announced yet. It's kind of strange, uh, but yeah, I'm working on a lot of stuff for them and, and kind of talking with them more about other things for the future. So we'll see what happens. Like with Robin, I have this big story I want to tell. I don't think I'll ever do anything as long as Flash again, though. I think 100 issues was was super intense. It was super intense doing that because every two weeks I had to turn in a Flash comic, no matter what, you know, to make sure I kept that schedule. So. I don't know. I think eventually it'll. I, I don't. I don't see myself doing like a really big long run like that. I think like from now, probably like two years is probably my max on a lot of this stuff. Oh man, is, is there kind of is there anybody who has written hundred issue runs on more than one title though? I I don't know that anyone uh, pull that off. Hundred. I don't know about a hundred. I mean, you know, Jeff wrote a lot of mm-hmm. Green Lantern. I mean, there's a lot of Green Lantern stuff from Jeff, and then you know he wrote like. He's still he's just shy of a hundred if you add everything together. Uh, you know he wrote a lot of JSA, but again not a hundred. Mark Wade almost got to a hundred, I think, on his Flash stuff. I don't know. I mean Bendis, Bendis, Bendis has to have had multiple hundred issue runs. Oh yeah, that's possible. When you when you think about Ultimate Spider Man was uh, was more than a hundred. Uh, I think when you add everything together, I wonder if he wrote a hundred issues of. If you add New Avengers and Avengers, I'm sure you get like a hundred issues of Avengers. Yeah, He's yeah, maybe X-Men. him. X Men. I'm sure he wrote like a hundred issues of X Men. Mm. I don't try to think about else has done that. Well, it takes a lot of you, you know. Yeah. I, that, <laughs> like, it was like I learned 
I learned, it was like a huge learning experience. And so I feel like now I know how to do things in a faster, tighter fashion than in the past. Like, I don't think I would ever do anything. I'm looking at my office. And I'm trying to think if anyone has ever done like multiple hundred issue runs. I mean, you know, like Peter David did over a hundred issues of Hulk, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but he didn't do a hundred. Peter David, I thought Peter David wrote like a hundred issues of Aquaman for some reason in my brain, but he didn't. Mm-hmm. He barely wrote 50, right? He didn't write that many. Like, Dan Abnett is the person who's written the most issues of Aquaman. Uh, which is surprising, because his run is so recent, you know? Yeah. Uh, we added them together. I don't know. Yeah, I don't think I'd ever do that again, though. But you never know. You never know what's going to come at you in life. Yeah, it's it would be a daunting thing to go into knowing that you were planning it. and the, uh, it, it would take a certain kind of person, but I, I'm not at all surprised that Jeff would be that kind of person, you know, yeah. to to, to write that long uh, a story on some just everything I ever hear about Jeff like talking with uh, Jay Fabic when he was doing uh, I think it was when they were doing Dark Side War yeah. like yeah he's talking about how he'll get a uh, a text or a call from Jeff at you know at 6 a.m. his time or yeah. 5 a.m. his time or something. He was on his way to the gym and just had to call him up because he had some exciting ideas that he wanted to bounce off. And like, man, like the dude just doesn't stop. Stop. <laughs> yeah. I uh, I think there was something you said just now about Jeff with the uh, with some of that stuff. I don't know. I mean, I'm trying to think if anybody else has done anything that's that long. But you know, Jeff likes to plan. Jeff definitely likes yeah. to plan things out and figure out these pieces. But that's how it was with, with Flash too. Like. I definitely knew what all the arcs were going to be. Um, you know, I, I would kind of mix things up a little bit here and there. Originally with Flash, they had mentioned to me I might have to have left the book around issue 38, around issue 39. And um, But then when I was... I don't know when this was. It was, it was toward the end of the first year of me being in the book. I started looking at the math, and I was just like, no, I'm nowhere near done with this book. I'm nowhere near done. And so I pitched them a plan, and that's what basically was Flash War. And then they were like, all right, cool. They really liked it. You can do that. And that's when it was like, all right. By the time I got up to Flash War, it was like, oh, I'm staying on this book to 100. Like, the sales were there. Everybody was happy. I was keeping the schedule. You know, they're just like, just keep him going. Like, why fuck with it? You know, it's like, let him let him just keep going if this is working. So it was, it was pretty cool. It was nice that I was able to do the stuff I wanted to do. And Batman Superman was hard because it was like... Once we got past the uh, the first arc, we weren't sure when some because the schedule got all moved around on us after the first arc, and so that's why we had to do all these like filler arcs. It was like, you know, we had to do because like things just changed because a lot of stuff changed in the last two years. I had to basically like throw a lot of the plans I had in the book away, and then it was like, okay, well let's let's buy some time. Let's have Nick Darrington, who I'm friends with, do two issues of the book with Ray Shinzad. Let's do that. Looking back at that, I wish that arc had been six issues instead of two. Uh, but then we were always like trying to buy time. And then it was like, okay, I guess I'm going to leave it issue 12. And then it was like, no, can you stay a little bit longer? Can you do one more thing? And I was like, all right, cool. I guess I'll do this this arc here. And then it was like, okay, maybe 14 will be your last issue. And then 15 will be your last issue. And I was like, that's fine. And I got to do what I had wanted to do from the beginning. I'm doing a story more about their friendship with issue 15. Um and then I got to do the annual, which is like probably one of the most fun things I've done at DC. Was this? I did uh, a Batman and Superman annual, where Mixoplick and Batmite are arguing about who would win in a fight between Batman and Superman. Mm-hmm. And 
they like make up a bunch of shit and that issue led to so many arguments but i couldn't what was really funny about my editor is i remember one time i called him and we were having this conversation and i was like you you realize that like in this argument right now you are mixed and i i am batman <laughs> because it was like what are you talking about I'm like i'm literally the conversation between the two of them is that superman so so Mixoplug and Batmite are trying to figure out who would win, Superman or Batman, in a fight. But they both keep cheating and making them act out of character, right? They keep on making them do things they wouldn't do. <laughs> and uh, that was part of the argument I was having with the editor. And he was like, well, Superman wouldn't do that. And I'm like, dude, that's the, that is the point. That is what <laughs> Batmite is saying to Mixoplug in that moment. Like... It was, but it ended up being this really fun thing. Like all the, uh, it was funny. Like all the conversations him and I were having. So what happened was the, the editor and I started having these conversations about, okay, well, if Batman and Superman did fight, what would happen? And then he and I were talking about it, and then I was turning a lot of our conversations into the conversation between Click <laughs> and Batman into the book, and he didn't pick up on it at first. Uh, it was really funny. Like he he eventually got it. He was like, "Oh, you're turning our argument into the book," and I was like, "Yes, is that what I'm doing?" And then Thank you for helping me. Dude, it was it was fun, dude. I actually just got the comps for that yesterday. The uh, the the hardcover of that um, that whole last arc. Um, but yeah, that was a lot of fun. And then I got to have at one point we thought Gabriel Rodriguez was going to draw it. Uh, you know, he did Lock and Key. We thought he was going to draw it, and then uh, that did not happen because uh, he was going to do Lock and Key uh, Sandman. But he did do um, the cover. But actually, this is the first thing I had ever worked on at DC with Gleb, and Gleb is now drawing Robin. Um, he and I, Gleb and I, had, met, had emailed each other like two, three years ago, I think, about possibly working together. Uh, and he was my first choice to do Robin, and we weren't sure it was going to work out, but it, it did work out. But he did this, he did the Mixoplick and Batmite scenes in this. But yeah, if you ever get a chance to check out this annual, it's really, I'm really proud of it. It was, it's silly at times, but. I don't know, man. I think, especially at DC right now, I'm really interested in just doing some fun stuff with these characters. And, you know, we were kind of doing stuff for a while that was a little bit darker at times, a little bit more, like, gritty. But, like, we were talking about horror stuff earlier, you know. There's a difference between gritty and then fun horror, you know. Uh, like, one of the things that I, I love that was horror recently was, um, was Ash vs. Evil Dead. Yeah. That TV show, like that show to me was perfect because it was like, well, at least the first season. But you know, it was just fun. It had some really, there was some good horror parts, but then there was also some like over the top parts. I feel like that's what we need to be doing with some of these characters more. It's just trying to have fun with them and like, I don't know. Sometimes you gotta blow shit up, but just have fun with it. <laughs> and that's why uh, sometimes I think a new character, like when uh, the Batman Who Laughs came out. Yeah he was instantly super popular because he was like this over the top version of Batman because he was both Batman and Joker and yeah. people just uh, latched onto him. Yeah, dude, it's crazy sometimes. We, we, uh, like we're, we're pretty aware of how popular he was. Uh, are yeah. you guys wrestling fans at all? Yeah. You guys are? Yeah. So you know how they, they figure out in the WWE when a wrestler is actually popular, right? You know what they use? They use the the t-shirt sales. Yeah, yeah. Because oh, you wow. can you can say a person's popular, right? Like, imagine you're for a wrestler and you're trying to prove you're popular, and you get in the ring and you're like, "Listen, like, they cheer for me when I come out," and they're like, "Man, they cheer for fucking anything." Like, 
they'll they'll cheer for as you know McFoley will talk about they'll cheer for cheap pops man you just mention the town you're in and they're gonna blow up right so so how do you gauge if someone is actually popular and it's if people are buying their shirts like wow. that's that's because then you're spending money that's it that's how they can tell so that's why you know John Cena and Roman Reigns as much as some people will boo them the reason those dudes keep getting pushed is because they have the highest t-shirt sales like people buy John Cena and Roman Reigns t-shirts like crazy. Like Roman Reigns has talked about this. Like the royalty checks they get for their shirts is nuts. If if you're a popular wrestler, mm. that's how they. So the reason why I bring this up is because of the Batman who laughs. Like, you know, I remember when the Batman who laughs came up came out. People got it, they liked it, but then after a while, we would hear sort of this sentiment of like people were over it or didn't like the Batman who laughs. But we were looking at the merchandising sales of that character, and we we're like, there's this. It was bonkers, dude. Like, if they made a Batman Who Laughs t-shirt, if they made a toy or a statue of the Batman Who Laughs, it would sell, like, crazy. Like, that stuff was selling in insane amounts. So it was, like, that's part of why we kept them around, because it was just, like, dude, if you put Batman Who Laughs on the cover, it would, like, double your sales on that comic. It was crazy. Like, that's how popular that character was, dude. It was super, super nuts. Right. And that's why he was in the beginning of Batman uh, Superman. That's why, you know, Scott and Jock did that story. That's why he still made it all the way through Death Metal. Like we told that big story with him all the way through. Yeah, I, I, I work at a comic version. shop, and everything sells. You know, uh, the, when the pop figure comes out, we yeah, go through tons. Cool. Uh, a new statue comes out, go through tons. Imagine a live action version. Has to happen I wonder, eventually. I, I wonder if that'll happen. The thing that I think will probably happen first is they would probably do the. Um, they'll probably be like an animated metal cartoon. I feel like that's the that'd be, cool. that'd be the stuff to do. That's the stuff I want. My my goal is that I also like with this Robin story I'm doing. That's like I would think that would be pretty cool. The this the stuff I'm doing Robin with this tournament. I think I could see that being one of the animated movies. I was thinking about that earlier this morning. Um, I like all that stuff, but I'm, I'm they're gonna run out of things to adapt. But that's the thing with the Flash, dude. Is that like the last two seasons of the Flash have had so much stuff from my run in it. It's crazy. Like there are times I. Uh, I know people that work on the show, so they'll tell me a little bit of things ahead of time, but then some stuff will pop up that I'm like, I didn't know they were using that. Oh my god. Like, so much stuff, dude. It's, it Call gets... my attorney. Oh, it isn't that bad. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's cool when they uh, when they animate things because you can do absolutely everything from the comics, but I think the thing that they ignore too much mm -hmm. is making it look like that comic did. I mean, that's a, a key to it. Like it, it was proven with New Frontier looked just like Darwin's stuff, yeah, and cool. now just this week we've got Invincible, and it looks just like Ryan's stuff. And well, th was, those are perfect. With Invincible is that Corey Walker, who was the original artist on Invincible, who also designed all those characters in mm -hmm. the beginning. He's the art director for Invincible, mm -hmm. so that's part of why it looks yeah. like yeah. a book because literally a person who like designed all that stuff yeah. is on it. You know. Yeah. Uh, when you go back and look at Public Enemy, the animated one, I mean, that looks a little bit like Ed McGinnis. Not yeah. exact, but it looks a little. Uh, the one that was after that looked a little bit Michael Turner, a little bit. But then it was like, it feels like, yeah, you're totally right. They got further and further away from it in some places. Yeah, yeah and so many of the recent DC animated movies, it's just like their stock animation style. And like, style. It, it, yeah, you're you're missing the feel. Like I, when I watch the animated ad adaptation, I would love to feel the same way I felt reading that comic. 
Yeah, I'm behind on a lot of them. Now that I have HBO Max, I'm going to try to catch up on a bunch of them, but I'm behind a little bit. Um, they're not doing as many, like, I guess I feel just by looking at it so far, I don't feel like they're doing as many direct adaptations uh, as they used to do. Uh, I haven't finished watching. I only watched a little bit of the Death of Superman, Reign of Superman 1, uh, that two-parter. I need to, like, watch it all. But it isn't like that stuff looks like Dan Jurgens, you know. It's not like they're making it look like Dan Jurgens' art. I mean, that'd be cool. I'd be curious to see how that would look. Uh, but yeah, like I, if they ever do a straight up, if they do a straight up Quarter Owls one, I know they touched on it a little bit. They touched on Quarter Owls stuff. Yeah. But if they ever did like a straight up adaptation of Quarter Owls, I would hope they'd make it look like Greg's work. Um, I was looking at this morning, um, Year Zero, because I like I like Quarter Owls, but I do feel like Greg and Scott. The moment that they, you know, really it like all came together was Year Zero. I think because even when you look at the Joker stuff they did, the Joker stuff is really strong. It's really good. It's good horror stuff. It's good Batman story. But there's something about Year Zero. I really like Year Zero a lot. I feel like it's the two of them. They came. They finally like figured out like the the meshing of their two styles kind of really came together in Year Zero. And then the, they changed the coloring style. Everything like it. It's a. I like Year Zero a lot. I was just looking at. Um, Year Zero, every it issue opened with, like, a different kind of, um, like, the first page was a little different, and each one of those Year Zeros, it kind of had this, like, cool visual motif going on, and, uh, I don't know, they, because they knew each other, but remember, like, they just, they didn't really know each other when they started working on Batman, but then yeah. when you get to Year Zero, they'd been working on each other for two years, and they started planning it early, so by that point, they, like, really knew each other, and they were really talking about what that book was going to be, and you could tell that, you can see it in Year Zero, compared to the rest. And it's funny how opposite their styles were when they started working together. Like you can hear, because yeah, yeah, because like, like how Scott awesome. gives like such a a detailed uh, heavy script, and yeah, Greg yeah. wants to work, you know, from three wow. lines to to write the issue. And uh, yeah, so Greg would say that you know he, he printed off the the script that Scott sent <laughs> over, and so many pages came out. They're like, I thought I hit print four times. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, dude, that was really funny. But now they're like, dude, if you're if you're around them, it's they're they're so funny, dude. Those yeah. those two dudes, they're they're the same person at this point. Like they <laughs> merged, they merged heads in a lot of ways. It's it's really I, you know, yeah. And Greg is Greg is awesome, dude. He's so funny. Uh, I haven't, but that's what that's what sucks with this year. I haven't seen a lot of these people in a long time. I. I went from, like, you know, Scott and James, I would see them, like, every few months. Like, we'd go to Scott's house and stuff. And so I haven't seen him in, like, man, I don't know, dude, like, almost uh, two years, I think. I guess the last time I saw him was, oh, dude, the last time I saw both of them was, was uh, C2E2 last year. So March of last year, right before, like, it really hit. Uh, last time I saw those guys. Uh, but last time I saw Greg was at New York Comic Con. Like, fuck, man, I don't know. Yeah, 2019. Last time I saw that dude, uh, it'd be good when all this stuff's over to just like hang out with uh, people again <laughs> and talk about comics in person again. Right. Uh, but yeah, dude, like that stuff was good. I don't know the I like I like Year Zero a lot. All the stuff that Greg and Scott did, the Batman who laughs, all that stuff, dude. It's 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 pretty cool, and you can tell us that's going to stand the test of time. Like, well, I I love King Shazam. He was like, oh yeah, oh my gosh, They're I love that character. That. <laughs> They're making a what? They're making a toy of that. Uh, yes, thank yeah, you, I, thank you. I just found out like a little bit ago. 
He, I didn't want to call him King Shazam though. That actually came out of the office. That was oh, yeah. that was an argument that I had where I was like, "Well, we're calling him that. Let's give him a crown at least." <laughs> uh, that was dude. That was crazy because we made that list. So uh, we made the list of who we wanted to be infected and get possessed by the Batman last all that stuff. Yeah, Shazam was on the end of the list, and we were like, "All right, he will be the last reveal." Like, we'll do all the other ones first. So it was like, the first character will be Gordon, and then you'll notice, you know. And then because things got moved around on us because of Year of the Villain, I had to basically smash it together. Because it was supposed to be a longer story. We had to smash it together. And I remember being in a meeting in the office, and they were just like, you got to do Shazam first. You got to do Shazam first. And I was like, what? Are you sure? Like, I think we should wait until the end. And they were like, no, 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 no. This is the big one. Because it will surprise people. That was why. They were like... If you do Shazam first, it will catch people's attention. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. But, and yeah, and, it, and it, it worked because I, I do still remember that part, you know, where Billy, is, they're, they're talking to Billy and he's like, you don't recognize me? Yeah, because he got dressed up as a Robin. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that was fun. It was just, it was fun writing him. And uh, they actually, <laughs> they got on me about a lot of stuff in that because he cussed a lot in the script. Uh, <laughs> I had him. I had him. I had him yell "Shazam, bitch!" at one point. <laughs> There's literally a lettered version of that, so I've seen it. That got all the way to lettering, and oh, man. it was the colors. It was like the week before went to print, and they were like, "You can't have him say Shazam, bitch." Didn't have kids in school. You can say it for a drop for us. Oh, I guess I got to take it out. Uh, but um, yeah, it was fun doing that. Uh, that whole thing was funny, man. There's like, there's different versions of that whole Batman Superman book because it's like, I had all these plans for Batman Superman, and because things kept getting moved around, and then Year of the Villain got kind of mixed up in it, and then it was like, okay, we're doing Year of the Villain now. Okay, well I got to move this around because of this, and then it was like, okay, well now this stuff's getting pushed back, so you have to like buy time, and uh, and then I was like, well I'll do this story later, so. I feel like if any book I'm ever going to want to do again, I could see myself wanting to do like another Batman Superman book at some point with all the ideas that I had that I didn't get to do. But those first two issues, I'll say the first three issues of Batman Superman, I rewrote them so many times. There was a version of Batman Superman that was completely different. Like we, I wrote a script in like November, December of, of 2018 or whatever. And it was drastically different. It was much more, uh, it was fun, but it was more metal. It was more over the top stuff. Um, and it was much, it, it was, I would say it was a more fun book. And that wasn't what they wanted. They were like, we really want this to be like a horror book. You know, we want it to be a lot darker. And so I had to throw that script in the trash. And it sucked because I wrote that script and I actually gave that to David Marquez to read first. And he did thumbs on it and really liked it. And then we had to tell him, like, listen, they didn't want it to be that way. They thought it was too, I would say they thought it was too fun. Uh, but that basically kind of what it was. Yeah, they, they had a lot of issues with it and they didn't feel it met the tone they wanted. They wanted it to be scary. And I was like, that's cool. I mean, I like horror stuff, but that wasn't what we kind of agreed upon in the beginning. So I had to, like, completely throw that out, start a whole new script. And that's the script that you guys have seen. That's the one that came out yeah. later. It was a totally different book. I'm still happy with that first issue, uh, but it is totally different than we originally set out to do. With David, it was kind of rough because David was coming over from Marvel, and I think he wanted something that was more fun, and then we're like, here's a horror book. <laughs> yeah. uh, 
But so I was trying to throw all the stuff I could throw in there and just try to have fun with it and trying to get away with stuff I could here and there. And I don't know. The, 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 that book was fun at times. It was definitely, it's, it's tough when you're doing a book like Batman and Superman because I was also dealing with the fact that there was changes in the Batman books, there's changes in the Superman books. And there's a pressure to reflect those changes if you can, you know? Yeah. And it's like, I don't know. It was it was definitely difficult. Like I feel as though I w- there are times I wish it had just been a mini, like just been those six issues, or I've been able to. Uh, timing had been a little different because it was supposed to come out originally. It was supposed to come out in like June or July, I think. I think it was June. Yeah, it was supposed to come out in June, and it didn't work out, so we pushed it back to August. But that meant that we had to take the first eight issues and shove them into five. Like we had to make it like just one, you know, real quick story. And that kind of sucked at times, but and it is, I still like it. I have that last page of issue one, that first time you see uh, King Shazam on the last yeah. page of issue one. I actually yeah. have the original art for that. You do? Yeah, I do. Yeah, it's I have uh, I have a bunch of original art. I have that uh, for Speed Metal. I have the first page of Speed Metal, and then I have the whole last scene. So I have all that whole sequence. Uh, it's like six pages at the end of Speed Metal. I have all of that. Um, I have some of the my last issue of Batman and Superman. Uh, what else I got? I got a ton of stuff, dude. I, don't, I have a bunch of art here at the house. I have some older stuff that I've gotten gradually here and there. But now that it's getting so expensive, it's hard to get older stuff. Like, I wish that Tom Tom King and I were talking about this recently. That I wish I had like, I wish for the last like ten years, every single time I went to a convention, I wish I bought a piece of original art because now when you watch like Comics Link or Heritage. And you see how some of these pieces are selling. You're just like, holy shit, dude! I saw that for like two fifty, you know, five years ago. Now it's selling for like three thousand dollars. Like, I know. You know. I know. We watched. Uh, Tom and I watched one of the heritage auctions a few weeks ago together. What was a live one? We we watched it while we were talking on the phone together. And I was waiting for Joe Mad uh, Deadpool pages that were coming up. And when the when the bidding started, they were like. I think they're like five hundred bucks, and I was like, I could do that. I could buy it for a hundred dollars, and they sold for like I don't know. I think that the the one that was like the weakest of the set of pages they had sold for like two grand. Like they were going to like ten grand for some of those pages. I'm like, who was buying this shit? Uh, it was crazy. Like some of that art stuff now is just selling for so much. It's it's, it's wild. Uh, now I'm like, if I work on something and uh, I know the artist is doing something really cool, I'll leave a little note like I'm buying this page for you or something. I'm getting this page for you. <laughs> like in certain scenes, I'm like, I want that one. Dibs. Yeah, I'd, I'd yeah. put that in the contract. Yeah. I told my wife the stuff on my walls is uh, the college fund. So Dude, that, that that keeps me safe for a little bit, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, I have a um, I have a page from Gotham Central number one. And it's the page where they're literally talking about we're going to do this without Batman, which is like the whole premise of that whole book, right? So I got that one. I bought that for like $175 at a convention. And it has the lettering on it and everything. Like, it is a beautiful page. That shit, now I can't even imagine what it would go for. Uh, That's that's something we were talking with Clay about uh, a couple months ago. Uh, So he was talking about how that that was how his pages used to sell, like, you know, like a hundred dollars kind of thing. But, and I guess this is a good thing that it's gone this way from the artist standpoint that now they have spent so many hours drawing that page. And like what clay was intimating was that, you know, like each page he looks at, he can remember 
where he was, what he was doing, what was going on in his life that day that he was drawing that. So I have all of these memories tied to this page and I don't want to sell that page for a hundred dollars. Yeah, no, for sure. You'd want to sell it for what you feel it's worth. If at yeah. all, I yeah, know yeah. If, if you're going to sell it, it's got to be worthwhile. Yeah. I know some artists that don't sell for those reasons or they keep pages for themselves because of whatever was going on in their life or the, they remember drawing it in particular and yeah I, I know other artists that are like that where they hold on to certain things and some of them are like let it go like sell it just make more money let's go let's go you know like you don't even opportunity again but it is wild right now that the, the original art stuff is selling for so much like with robin there's a couple pages on robin i kind of want to get originally gleb was going to do it all digital and then he changed his mind after he did the two preludes he changed his mind he's doing it all traditional now uh and so i'm probably gonna try and get some of those pages off of him uh, from Robin. Like, I know in my head which pages I'm like, oh, I'm going to want that one, I want that one, I want that one. Um, just depends, you know? Just try to get some of that stuff going. But, yeah, man, I don't know. There's lots of cool stuff we're working on. I think the back group has right now is, like, on fire. I feel like all the stuff that James is working on with the back group, and then you get, like, Mariko is doing stuff that's really cool and detective with Dan Moore, and Dan Moore is on fire doing, like, amazing work. Uh, Urban Legends has a bunch of cool stuff coming up in it, like Chip's doing the um, that Red Hood story that's in there, but there's other stuff that's coming in that book. Yeah, and There's other Bat stuff that hasn't been announced yet that's down the line that's coming, but I don't know, dude. It's going to be fun. I think there's a lot of cool stuff coming from that. And, but I'm just, I'm just hanging out right and robbing on my own over here and just kind of having fun with it. And nobody bothers me. It's pretty crazy, dude. I've never had a book where I got the most left alone. I've been left alone on Robin. That That's <laughs> one thing I wanted to ask about. So when... Yeah. When DC first started talking about the Infinite Frontier thing, yeah, uh, sort yeah. of the mission statement, I guess, uh, if you want to call it, they said something along the lines of the taking the focus off of continuity. So, I don't, where a lot of that stuff came from, to be honest, like you know, I don't know, I don't, I feel like that kind of got through like rumor mill stuff. Like, I don't know if Jim or an editor ever did an interview that actually said that. Um, because my conversations with other creators and editorial, they are still about continuity, but it's the same thing it's supposed to be. Like, it's not, you're not a slave to it. You know, like you can tell your story. Uh, but from what I see looking at all the books that are coming, they're all connected. And that's, I I almost feel like infinite frontier was built to tell people it's still going to be connected. Like when we started talking about infinite frontier, it was something I pitched back in September well, we really started talking about it in October of like what it was going to be, how we were going to do it, how it was going to help with the line and, and what the point of it was. And then building the zero hour issue out or the zero issue, excuse me, the zero issue out. Once we knew what we were doing with it, that was actually one of the big points was to show people that it's still one universe is still connected. It's one continuity and we're doing this thing like that was still part of what Infinite Frontier was all about was to show all these things are still connected and that continuity does matter. It's like it, it all like everything that you think. In the past, like it all happened, and let's just move forward. Like, draw a line in the sand from End of Death Metal, and now you can kind of cherry pick what you want to tell the best story, and then just go forward. And then it kind of falls on the writer of that book after that of like, well, what do they want to do after that? You know, it's like, what do you want to cherry pick and keep? So, with Robin, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, it all happened. So, it's real easy. It's just, it all happened, and you move forward with it and just tell the best story possible. Mm-hmm. That's the way to do it. It is, yeah. I mean, that's the 
you know, just try to have fun with it. Don't don't let the stuff like hold you down. But there's always like I mean that's what Jeff Jeff was always really good about when you look at a lot of Jeff's stuff is he took all of it and then he was just like, How do I make all this work? I mean tell the best story. And I think people appreciate that versus like outright ignoring things, you know? Or making things out of character or be like I don't know. I feel like it's okay to kind of like rewrite history a little bit because at least you're not acknowledging it versus ignoring it. And that's kind of how I always try to operate. I try not to ignore it. I just try to do my own thing and move forward with it, you know, which I did that on Flash and I try to do that on Robin and just have some fun with it. I have to, I have to tell you guys this. I don't know if I ever told you guys this story before, but did I ever tell you about how like the, the DC toy room that we were talking yeah. about? Yeah. 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 You were there with, uh, with Tom. <laughs> It was Thomas, yeah, and Steve wouldn't get anything. Such a, yeah. He was, like, in a bad mood. And so I was just like, dude, just grab everything. What are you talking about? Like, <laughs> grab everything. <laughs> and uh, so I've been, I went back there uh, a couple of times since then. And, yeah, dude, I'm always just like, give me one of these, give me one of these. I'm always stacking <laughs> this toy, this thing, this, 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 and this. And so, yeah, I have, what's crazy, though, is sometimes those boxes will show up because they'll mail them. And, uh I'll open that box up, and there's so much stuff in it. And I'm like, man, where am I going to put all this? Where am I going to do all this stuff? And so then I'm just boxing it back up and putting it in the garage. Like, it's always like, where am I going to put all this stuff? So eventually, we'll I'll have it like, on display and have it done up real nice and everything. But yeah, dude, everything in here is pretty... I got a lot of shit. I got a You're lot laughing of uh, because uh, on one of those trips that you took, you grabbed the Mezco Dark Knight Returns figure. Yeah, which yeah. Uh, wasn't even made by DC Collectibles. <laughs> it was made by Mezco. So we were like, they must have just sent a bunch to DC as like a, hey, look at what we did or thanks for the license or whatever. And like I'm the fact that you grabbed one is awesome because those are like 300 bucks each now. I know, I know. Well, that was the thing. Like I grabbed one. So the way it works is, is that anything that anything, even if, if DC Direct or DC doesn't make it, if somebody else makes it, so Mezco, Sideshow, whatever, because it's a license... Yeah. DC still has to sign off on it. Like, right. stuff to, like, go, okay, cool, you did, you did a good job. And so that's why they get everything. Like, everything and anything, you know, I've heard I've heard all kinds of crazy stories about stuff that they've, they like, shown up and people have gotten stuff. And I think I told you guys last time they wouldn't let me take any of the Legos. Did we talk about this? Why was that? Well, dude, so <laughs> the the room is huge. And it's, it's I mean, it's. It's it's pretty crazy. You just walk up down the aisles and you just grab all kinds of stuff. But they is have kind of like at the ends of Indiana Jones Raiders of the Lost Ark, where they're putting the Ark back in the <laughs> top secret. It's not that big warehouse. <laughs> it's like a storage room. It's like a pretty big storage room, you know. But it's it's like you're kind of packed in there, and there's just stuff. And uh, and the only thing that's okay, it's weird. Like to get into that room, you have to go through like two different doors. There's like a long hallway and a door. And only so many people have those keys. And then once you get in that room, the, there is a, a closed cabinet that has Legos in it, and that's locked. Mm. And uh, one time I went, and I think they let me take, like, one Lego set. And it was, like, this Joker, like, playground one. It was a bigger one, right? And uh, so the next time I went, I was like, oh, I'm going to go crazy. I'm going to get Legos. And they were like, no, no, no. We uh we've been told we can only do Legos for uh really really like high people like really high like if it's a celebrity or something and I was like all right that's fine whatever well this is a time that it was like me James and Scott went and I remember James and I were in there and we were just grabbing whatever like toys and laughing and, and you know talking about different stuff and 
getting whatever. And they told us, no, no, no Legos. And we were like, cool, whatever. And then, like, an hour later, we saw Scott walk around. He had fucking bags of Legos. <laughs> <laughs> like, full on. I was like, oh, now I, I see. I see how it is. The hierarchy. Uh, yeah. They, they let him have it. They wouldn't let us have him. But, yeah, the room is it's interesting. I don't know. It's, it's, uh, it's definitely one of the perks. I feel like if you... It's funny, man. I told you guys last time. Yeah, it was like a test. Because, like, Tom was like, oh, I'll get one of these. I'll get one of these. That's why I made him take that one Mezco. And then and then uh, Steve was like, I don't know. I was like, man, just take it. What is it? What, like, got... <laughs> this one he was writing Supergirl. So I'm like, they got a Supergirl statue. Grab that. You know, it's like, <laughs> they got this toy. Take that. Like, just, just get yeah. it, dude. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's uh... It would just sit there if you didn't. Well, I feel yeah. like, like, okay, this is how I feel about it, right? Is that they're literally bringing us to this room and they're saying, go. Yeah. Like, there is completely guilt-free. Go. Yeah. So why wouldn't you go? I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. It's just because they're good. You know, they're like, I think you just, you you feel bad. You don't want to feel like you're taking advantage, which is funny because, like, (laughs) in this industry. I I, I take advantage. I know. I feel like you guys are the ones that deserve it the most. You're right. We do create a lot of stuff. You know, it's like I created Godspeed and they've made Godspeed toys now. And uh, the weird one is I made blood work. And when I made blood work, I was like, no one's ever going to care about this. And then he ended up being like on. uh, He was like the big bad for the show for like eight episodes. It was the beginning of last year's season. And they made a blood work toy. And I couldn't even believe that stuff. And it's like with that, you know, part of work for hire, you don't necessarily get the same amount of money you would get for that as say, like if you created that stuff outright through like image or something uh so yeah we were in that room it's like i might as well take advantage of this moment um and just i don't know i mean i, I don't i don't like clear out the room i think they would tell me to stop if i was like, <laughs> yeah, you know not. backing up a truck or something um i know I, 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 I want i want to hear that one day somebody went in there and started taking too much stuff and someone said okay josh calm down yeah no i <laughs> never they, they refer to you as the people who take too yeah much. yeah the one who takes a lot no i know somebody told me a story where it was like uh one creator went in there and they left with like seven big boxes like real <laughs> stuff and uh and that was the one people were like, oh, my God, that person took a lot of stuff. <laughs> he had yeah. a lot of kids. He had, like, a lot of kids. And he was just like, I'm, I'm stocking go. up. And Christmas shopping. Yeah. I mean, it's a, yeah. It was a lot. Uh, I mean, it's it's something to be said because it's like, you know, they're collectibles. They, they need to be appreciated. So if they were just going to stay in the box in that storage room, it's kind of sad. So you guys are giving them a home. Yeah. It's weird. It's weirder if it's something different. Like, like a, this is a true story. At my work one time. Mm-hmm. We got like pizza for for one department, and so like you know you have the the pizza out, and we hadn't even like started eating lunch yet, and then HR heard that we had gotten pizza, so like the, an HR lady came down, she's like, "Hey guys," and we're like, "Oh hey, what's up?" She's like, "Oh just you know," and you're like, "Uh, you want some pizza?" She's like, "Sure." So she goes and she like opens a box, and then she gets like three plates that she had, and she just starts stacking each plate with pizza. <laughs> And then she's like, thanks. And she leaves. No joke. She left with like six slices before anybody else had started eating. That's weird. That's weird. Well, I thought you were going to say she opened a box up and then took the box, like a whole box, (laughs) and then left the room. I was a little surprised that you said that she left because I feel like they just sit down. Right. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm just going to hang out. She was obviously taking pizza for herself and probably two other people. And they just. I want to see that. I want to see like you take a giant Lego set and you feel bad. So then you just you're holding a giant Lego set in your lap while you're like talking in a boardroom full of people, <laughs> like just waiting to leave. 
did, uh, <laughs> did Donnie ever tell you his story of the day he was at DC? No. Uh... So uh, he was. Uh, it was when he was selling the movie rights for God Country. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So he was, you know, what what I forget what studio it was that bought it, but they're in the same building. So he was, okay, like you know, there. he yeah did did like the contract signing for that, and somebody okay. somebody is like, oh, so you probably went and saw the uh, the comic stuff downstairs. Like, what? Well, no, what do you mean? Like, oh, DC's downstairs. Like, oh, cool. So he, you know, texts whoever he texted there to to ask if he you know say, hey, I'm here in the building. Can I get a tour of of the office? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that he goes down there and you know someone shows him around, lets him see all the cool shit and everything. And then when he figures, okay, I that's it, we walked around the whole place. Uh thanks for, for the tour. See you later. And they're like, uh, before you go, can you step into this room? Oh, okay, sure. So they walk him into this room, the door closes behind him, and it's Dan DeDio, uh oh. Jim Lee, like Bob Harris, all these guys sitting at a sitting at a desk. And and Dan DiDio's got like a foot high stack of cash on the desk in front of him, and it became a pitch thing because at the time he was in renegotiations with Marvel. Marvel, yeah, yeah. So they were uh, they were pitching. I didn't realize it was so elaborate. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's really funny. Uh, down in um, so there's the other room. I've only been to this other room one time, but in the basement, I think it's the basement of that building. They have the archive, and that's every comic that DC's ever made is in that room. Like, including Action Comics. There's, like, an ash can that came out before Action Comics. They have everything down in that room, and if you go in there, you can, like, hold it and look at all kinds of stuff. There's all kinds of cool shit in there, too. On on your screen, uh, is it Roman? Yes. On the very far left, which Friday the 13th toy is that? <laughs> in the back. Uh, oh, that's uh, Jason, the final chapter. Oh, Okay. That's a good one. That's I, good. I've, I, I've been watching one. I, I can only see a thumbnail of myself, so I don't know exactly like what angle I'm at. But yeah, that's the uh, that's the 18 inch uh, NECA. Yeah, uh, Friday 13th. But yeah, I, I have all of them in the the mini versions as well. That's cool. I've been we've been um, my wife and I just for fun every night we've watched uh, for the last uh, ten nights in a row we've watched a, a, a Friday the 13th movie. Oh, nice. And it's been really interesting watching it in that form because, you know, I've, I've, I've seen them in, like, it's weird. Like, I've just watched them in, like, different varieties. You know, I only ever sat down and marathoned them before. And I realized last night I had never really seen all of uh, X before until last night. I realized <laughs> I never watched all of it. I'd only seen pieces of it. Like, I remember certain scenes. What's funny is the, the scene I remembered the most doesn't happen until the last, like, 15 minutes of the movie. So he goes into, like, the, the VR room or whatever. He goes in, like, the holodeck. Oh, uh, yeah. I thought that scene was longer and it's like two minutes of the movie. But um yeah, I've been watching them all, dude, and it's been awesome. It's which, been like which, really which relaxing. It's like your top three or your top favorite overall. Is this I don't know, dude, it's it's changing because of this whole thing. Watching them in a row like this, I would say X was probably my least favorite. Just right. It didn't it didn't Everyone, click for me yeah. at all. I, I I don't know, but I really liked um obviously like the I like the first two. And the one that, I don't know, man, the one that really stuck with me the most, I think, would be, uh, if I can remember right now, the order of them. I think it's five, which is the one where it's Tommy as an adult, not not in the foster home. Is that five? No, it's Tommy not, foster home is six. It's part six. Uh, actually, yeah, no. Uh, foster well, five home is him five. in the foster home. Six is him as an adult. 
Right. It's called Jason Lives, where he brings him yes, back. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, I like that one a lot. It was different than the other ones. Yeah, that's a good one. That's him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's also, one of my favorites. The movie, they keep redesigning his head, and his head, like, it bugs me when they make it too big. They make it too poofy. Swollen. Uh, yeah, they, they, um, they kept, at that time, they kept, like, switching the actors until part seven. Then they were consistent. So, yeah, it was just it was Kane, like Kane, a new, Kane Hodder. Kane Hodder, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I, um, especially, like, me and Charles, Bad Force Times, uh, we're big horror fans. And, uh, mm-hmm. I'm Batman and horror all the way. So, yeah, yeah, dude. I, uh, that's, that's pretty much how I am, too. I, I, I think um, about all the time. I, I designed design headwear, uh, for, like my previous job, I did headwear for like DC, like licensing. Oh, and, right on. Uh, I do a lot of freelancing, but I actually uh, freelance for this brand called Fright Rags. They're like a, the number one horror brand in the mm-hmm. um, industry. So I still do a lot of uh, horror licensing on the side. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I want to see some of that. Yeah, I, uh, I, I have, I've kind of fallen back on horror a little bit, like away from it, just because my brain has been uh, with the kids and then with writing DC all the time. Right. But, and also, oh, but this is a big thing. My, my wife doesn't really like horror, um, <laughs> which is why, which that's is why. Very, that's very typical. Yeah, but that's why watching Friday the 13th with her has been really interesting because we're watching them all and, and, uh, and she's enjoying it. Like, I think she doesn't mind slashers. That's what I'm kind of learning. So like Scream, Friday the 13th, but she won't watch Nightmare. Like, yeah, I'm too psychological for her. Right. Uh, I wanted to try to convince her to watch them because we were doing these. I'm like, let's let's just go all the way through. We're doing, we're gonna do all twelve of these. <laughs> let's go ahead and do these. Uh, it's funny, James and I were talking about this last week. Um, because he he watched them all. He binged them in college, and he did like his own personal like uh study of them of the Friday oh, the Thirteenth movies. So he has all these theories of them and like all these like ideas about the story and how it works and how, what works and what doesn't work. We were talking about it and like. I don't know. I'm uh, I'm starting to get back into being able to watch stuff again. We, I've been watching a lot of Shutter lately. Yeah. Um, like I got I got that last year, I think. So I'm slowly slowly getting back into watching stuff regular. But my wife not wanting to watch it and the kids and stuff. It's just kind of like I wasn't. I, I fell behind on a lot of stuff, but now I'm slowly starting to to start watching stuff again and and you know, uh, getting back into it. But yeah, yeah Friday the Thirteenth. People, uh, people love that Joe Bob. Briggs uh, show. Yeah, dude. My, I watched that when I was a kid. Like, the yeah. original one. I watched that when I was like, a kid. I've only seen a little like, bit of that one. He's like the original Friday Night Hangout guy. Like, people yeah. just love that guy. Yeah, we watched we watched the beginning of one of his... Uh, we watched the, the first of the new Shutter stuff. We watched a little bit of that uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, what else have we been watching? I don't know. I've been trying to get just back into stuff a little bit here and there. It's been... Yeah, you know the beauty of it is, like, they're only an hour and a half. You can watch one or two and just yeah. move on for the night and not really worry about, you know, watching a three-hour movie. Yeah, I want to start watching the creep show stuff that's on there. Um, yeah. I'm behind that, too. But part of this is because I have, uh, on top of all the DC stuff I'm doing, I've got, like, three, uh, well, four, I guess, like, horror creator-owned books I'm working on. Oh, nice. One of them is like uh, like a passion project, and it it's really all about. It's a little bit cabin in the woods, a little bit, but it's really about like what even is scary now, you know? And like, how do you even scare people? And like, how do you actually create horror at this point? There's a lot about that. It's a lot about I think because it was about me like looking at all these comics that were out there, 
and then looking at what I did with Nailbiter and what I did with Ghosted and then looking at all these movies and being like, like, I don't know, man, I, I started feeling a little bit like I seen it all in a way. And I kind of wanted to do a book that kind of expressed that of like, you know, how do you even scare somebody now? Like, how do you even like what even is horror anymore? And kind of going into that and, and kind of finding a way of uh, like expressing those kinds of feelings, because I'm sure you've seen it too. Like there's a lot of great horror out there, but there's some stuff that you're just like, oh, man, everyone's doing the same thing over here. Yeah. You know, it's like how ferment there with, uh, you know, you see a lot of body horror stuff and I'm like, oh, man, I'm getting like burnt out on it. And you're like, what's, you know, like it's interesting uh i don't know man it's just like i look at a lot of horror stuff either horror books or i read some horror comics and i'm like none of this is scary and i just say the horror has to be scary but right i think there's a lot of stuff out there so i have this book i'm working on that's like a passion project that i'm like slowly putting together it might come out next year we we had talked about maybe coming out this october but there was no way like once i started to actually work on it and talking to the artists and they couldn't start it for another like two three months we both were like, nah, let's wait until like Halloween of 2022 and just do it right. Like actually make sure everything works, not just to like rush it out. So yeah, it's gonna take some time, but I have this horror book. Yeah. That I'm working on. That's very much about that. It's very much like taking all these things I love from horror, all the tropes and all the stuff that I think you can put and just putting it all in one big pot, you know, look like cabin in the woods, cabin in the woods is a lot of that, you know, like, it takes that energy of people uh, watching horror movies, because they're watching the horror movie, right? Yeah. Like, those guys in the basement that are... Yeah, sort of directing them. They're yeah. directing them, yeah. So I think there's... I was thinking about that when I was watching Friday the 13th, because there was a point where my wife and I were, like, laughing about them doing something, and I'm like, oh, that must have been where he got that from. Like, the idea <laughs> of people watching this movie, you know, like, yeah. and uh, commenting on it, because that's, that's kind of part of the meta-ness of Cabin in the Woods, but what I'm working on isn't that meta- it's just it is about it's about a person trying to without giving it away again too much spoilers or anything but it is about a person questioning what is horror now and like how do i scare someone and that's that's a major like how do we even scare people anymore you know yeah. like yeah so. that's a good concept because i've thought about that for years now because you could see that point where it was obvious that a lot of people who were creating whether it's uh, novels comics movies whatever we're looking for new ideas and you could see where the genre started turning into you know, people started uh, bringing in new things. Oh, well let's bring the internet into it, you know, and you know, people, yeah. you know, if you, if you unfollow someone and now you're being stalked by someone, you know, just bringing in all this virtual stuff into it because they're, they're looking for some, what hasn't been done before. Yeah. I think that's, I, I don't know. I, I, I think it's good to actually do a story about that. Yeah. Like if you're a person and part of your job is to scare people, like, and you start looking around and you're like, because not just about like that one scare. It's about like, how do you scare people? You know, you're not just like doing a jump scare on one person or whatever, yeah. but how do you make something actually scary that sticks with people anymore? And so, and, like, and I, that they're, they're not going to recognize. It's like uh, the joke on South Park where like Simpsons already did that. Simpsons already did that, part. you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, how do you make it so people can't walk into a, a haunted house and be like, like a, like a, you know, the, like, I'm not sure you guys ever went to like not scary farm or universal or anything like that, but you know, they build those, um, like super elaborate haunted houses that you go into and it's like, you know, like how do you make one that people aren't going to go in and they're going to come out like laughing? I mean, you, you come out laughing anyway, cause you feel safe. That's yeah. part of it. I can't remember who said this. I think it was, I think it was John Carpenter. He talked about how like, you know, you go in the movie theater 
and you get terrified of this thing, but then when you leave and it's sunny outside and you're like, ah, it's like a release. And that's really what you're chasing. You're chasing the release that everything is okay. And that's what you get from horror is you get that kind of release. And uh, I want to do, I'm working on a book that's like that. I don't know. It's yeah. going to take time. Anyway, yeah. we'll talk about it. I, I want to say real quick, like yeah. the fact that especially younger kids, they're exposed to so much more information and yeah. things that I feel like it's such a harder sell to scare someone. Like my daughter could walk in this room and see all this horror stuff. And when we yeah. watch it on TV, unless it's the nighttime, she'll really be affected. But otherwise, she just knows it's all fake and she's exposed to it. And she kind of realizes, wow, this is for fun. So. Yeah, my daughter's the same way. She she knows all this stuff's pretend. Like she loves, she loves Nightmare um, Nightmare Before Christmas, like her favorite yeah. thing. So she loves that, and because of everything that's in that, I think that immediately desensitized her to a lot of horror. Like she automatically, because she started watching it when she was like two and a half or something, and now it's like one of her favorite movies, and she knows it really well. Knows all the songs and stuff. So things that she sees is scary, or like you just said, come into my office and there's like all kinds of stuff in here. And I don't have so much horror stuff in my office, but you know. Like, we watch horror movies, and we... Oh, dude, I will say, we watched, um... We watched... Last weekend, she... She, like, figured out this math, where she's like, okay, Tim Burton... She's figured out Tim Burton made, you know... He didn't make Nightmare Before Christmas, but, you know, his name's on it. So, he does Nightmare Before Christmas, and then Danny Elfman made the music, right? right? So then, one day, she heard music from Alice in Wonderland, and she was like, this sounds like Nightmare Before Christmas. Oh, and I was like, oh, it's Danny Elfman, this whole thing. And so she's like... Well, I want to. She loves Alice in Wonderland, the, the movie. So she's like, "All right, I want to watch Alice in Wonderland." Then, and I was like, "All right, we're gonna do this." So we sat down, we watched <laughs> Alice, and watching it with her, where she's four now, and she just like likes everything she watches. You know, like she's just like, "This is cool. This is weird." Like she gets into it. She likes all the scarier stuff. She likes her favorite thing is when a villain becomes a hero. That is like her favorite, or becomes like joins the good guys. So, like, the banner snatch at the beginning is a bad guy, but then Alice is right him at the end. That's, like, her favorite shit. Like, if, like, when she watched the Lego movie and then Batman and the Joker team up at the ending to, like, save the city, they connect or whatever, she's like, yes, this is all I want, right? She's like, <laughs> that guy became the good guy. This makes me happy. That's, like, her she favorite wants thing. redemption. She wants redemption. Yeah. But she wants the redemption to be they turn good. That's what, right. that's, like, her favorite trope, I think. But so, she was, she was like, well, let's watch, uh, she saw the little thumbnail for Into the Looking Glass. And she was like, let's watch that. And I was like, all right, fine. So last Sunday, we sat down and watched The Looking Glass, which I actually liked. I was surprised I liked it. It's not a good movie, but it's the time travel movie. But they establish all the rules at the beginning, and they follow through with all of them. So I appreciate that. You know, if you're watching a time travel movie and someone, like, lays down the law and then follows their own law, it's like, all right, cool. Like, thank you for doing that. And then uh, but at the ending, it gets real tense. Like, it gets super, super, like, surprisingly tense for a kid's movie in the ending. And, dude, she lost her mind. I remember talking about a meltdown. She was like, they're all dying. They're not going to make it. Like, fucking, and, like, the White Queen, like, Anne Hathaway gets, uh, they get all turned into rust. So she gets turned into rust. My daughter was like, I, I had to pause it. I had to pause it and be like, okay, she was hyperventilating. She just flipped out. Oh, wow. So it's, it's weird how, like, some stuff will get her real good. But then she'll do something really scary, and she's just, like, laughing. Like, the things that we would think of as scary, she's like, ah, it's silly, pretend. Yeah. But, man, like, I think when it comes to that, it, it, it just got her real good. But it's fun to watch that stuff, too, to watch the, the kids and stuff. I don't know. 
Eventually, my, I'll take my, yeah. my house. We'll see what happens. <laughs> my son's also four years old, and uh, he is just drawn to villains and anything like slightly creepy and horror. Yeah. And so um, he has like I forget how or where. I think I just had it because I love the neck horror figure. So I had a Jason Voorhees, and he yeah. saw it. And he was obsessed with it. So, like, I opened it to, like, play with it and take pictures. And obviously, it ended up being his. And so, he came into my room one day because I was, like, taking a photo of it. And I had dirt in this Tupperware container to make it look like he was coming out of a grave. Yeah. And he, he walked into the room as I had that set up. And he looked at it. And he goes, Daddy, what's that? Daddy, what's he doing? Daddy, what is that? And I was just, oh, he's, uh, he, uh, he fell in a hole and he's trying to get out. He's like, okay. And then the other day, like, I'm in the backyard, and I'm looking at his little area, the planter, and this kid has taken Jason, and he's putting Lego figures in a grave. <laughs> and I'm like, Robbie, what is this? He's like, those are Jason's friends. He's putting them in the ground. And I'm like, oh, God. And then at school, at school, they tell him, like, if you're good, you can keep a toy in your cubby for the day. You know, keeps you safe, makes you feel comfortable. So he goes, Daddy, I want to take Jason to school. He's going to go in my cubby. And I was like, listen, buddy, you can take any other toy you want, okay? Teachers don't like Jason. They're afraid of him. So let's not take Jason. You can take yeah. any other toys. No, Daddy, but Jason's a good guy. He's misunderstood. And I'm like, <laughs> where? He straight said that. And I'm like, where did you hear that? So, you know who his father and mother are, right? They didn't help him swim. That's all. It's it's just funny how these these uh, like your daughters, like this newer generation of kids, are not as easily scared. And like, you know, I was outside taking a picture of my crow figure, and it was like two a.m. And I just kept looking over my shoulder because I was so creeped out and scared. And I was like, I could never be like these kids these days. Which uh, which crow figure did you get? It's uh, I think it just came out. My Is shop had like just came out. The, yeah, diamond the, select. the diamond oh, select. Oh, that one. Is that I was just trying to figure out where that, uh, if that had come out or not. I saw a picture of it yesterday because I have the McFarlane one. The so McFarlane made one. They made the regular size one, and then McFarlane made like a twelve-inch version of the Pro yeah. back yeah. then. So I have that in the garage somewhere. But part of why I go back a bit, part of why I asked about the Friday Thirteenth uh, toy was because I was thinking about getting one. Uh, and I was trying to see what was like the good one, you know, what's oh, the dude. one to get and stuff. So the, I don't, I'm, I'm still looking. At stuff. They're coming out with the uh, which one are they coming out with? They just showed it off. Um, let me look it up real quick. Jason, my NECA. favorite is the the Freddy vs Jason by NECA. He comes with all the the different different masks and the weathered masks. That's good. I didn't realize I had that one. I have I have like under my desk right here. I have a ton of those Mezcos. I have the they made an Evil Dead Mezco. Yeah. A while back, I just got that one, but yeah, if it's a Mezco, whatever it is, like I always get it wrong. Was it twelve one or whatever it's called? Like or the one twelve, yeah, one twelve, yeah, yeah. If they have that, I get, I get too many of those. <laughs> they're coming out. They're coming out with a, the new Blood figure, uh, part seven, and we're, that one looks so sick. Oh, He's yeah. like all that decayed. One, that one, that one, I didn't like that movie as much as some of the other ones. I got this thing. Have you guys seen this? The Rumble Society. Oh, oh nice. man, yeah. Doc, Doc Nocturnal. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, comes with a comic, you know, like a superhero with a skull for a face. I'll get that. That's cool. <laughs> you know, Josh, we do another show called Uh-oh. Grumps and Gramps. Called and what? Grumps and Gramps. <laughs> and well, it's with me and another guy that's on the Bat Force. Name his code name is Grumpler. He's he's kind of like the Cookie Monster. He's just grumpy about or Oscar the Grouch. He's grumpy about everything. And we basically focus on collecting, collecting figures and everything that oh. 
we've talked about so far. Yeah, someday we can do that one. Yeah. <laughs> I think wanna... once I get my done, dude, once I get the, the office finished, it's going to be game time. That's going to be where it's like everything is finally out. Everything is where, you know, I have the cases. Yeah. I'll have everything set up and then it'll be, it'll be fun. Well, we have kept you here a good yes. long time. Yeah, we should probably well, let you get back. For like Forty minutes before we started recording, yeah, that was the warm up. You did that. Yeah, that, <laughs> that that was the mic check. Yeah, yeah. All right, guys. Well, have a happy Saturday. Thanks for everything. Uh, you know, I hope you guys enjoy Robin and Gotham, the Future State Gotham stuff, and yeah, man. Absolutely. There's a lot of Thank cool stuff. And so, yeah, that's once again, uh, Robin begins April 27th and uh, Future State Gotham begins May 11th. So everybody go check out both of those. And thank you so much, Josh. Have a great day. You too. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Josh. Bye.